0: listening to the voice of Howard show hello you rotten little bloodsucker. sucker this is alice cooper hey this is justin from nsync this is rodney daniel uh, hey baby hello the gang. hi this is jack just back up from the border for a short visit you know what i'm talking about pal hi this is britney Hi, I'm Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague Whoever you are out there, whatever you're doing Time of day, night, morning, afternoon I thank you for listening, tuning in, choosing this Of all the noise in the world, you've chosen The Horse's Mouth And I thank you from the bottom of my heart Um, do you want me to get really sentimental? No, um, in all seriousness, um... I say this with a heavy heart. We lost a great person this week. Um, and I just, my heart goes out to the Graham family. Uh, Rusty Russell Graham passed yesterday and, um, and he, it's just such a a person. I saw him three weeks ago. Um, with a friend at the car wash, and he was washing a car, and he was explaining to us the um, how much he loved this car, and it was an odd time to be at the car wash. It was an odd time to bump into him, and I, I knew Rusty wasn't too well. And after my friend left, I uh, hung out there for a bit more and chatted with him, and um, and I felt really as I drove away, I knew that it was I was special, and I was blessed to have had that chat with him because I knew that he wasn't well, um, and, and, uh, left me really thinking about my own life. And, you know, like, it wasn't that long ago that I remember R- R- Corey and Russell working together opposite Rip Curl. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I'd say that, and that was in the nineties, but it doesn't feel like that long ago to me. And I just, you know, and Rusty was always such a positive, awesome human being, always had time, always, you know, uh, gave me the time of day when he really didn't have to. And and Corey's the same. Um, just got such a warm demeanor, just great people. And just to think of that slice of time has disappeared and, and now so is rusty is just a stark reminder. That it's it's fleeting, man. And um and and you know like fuck I can really dig in on the negatives in life but when you see it so fleetingly it's just like why why do we just beat ourselves up or why do we zero in on the negatives when we just like fuck it man just gotta roll with be nice and um and do what you want to do to have a good life like these things for me this is what happens when 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 death is around, it really makes, I think it makes us, it all does this, right? We all have to think about our own mortality. Anyway, um, my love goes out to you, um, Graham family. Uh, so this week I had the really good fortune of talking to Taylor Jarden. Now, um, Taylor works in a hairdressing um has has a barber shop down in Lawn and I kind of like I was driving through Lawn one day and I was like, Oh, that joint looks cool, uh see if I can get a haircut and um stuck my head in and he and, and I didn't know Taylor then and Taylor was like, No, no, you gotta make a booking online and blah 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 and I was just blowing through so, you know, I was like I won't do that. But then I saw him pop up on a um, friend of mine's Instagram feed holding, it was on Shams. Shams, he just got a new surfboard from Sharma. And I just, uh, I was like, oh, that's an omen. That was that dude. And I usually just shave my head, you know, it's just easy. And I was like, but I kind of was like, maybe I should try and grow it out. Um, but every time I grow it out and get a haircut, I'm like, I hate the haircut, I'll just shave it. Anyway, uh, I saw it as an omen. So I made an appointment and went down to see this cat, cool cat, he likes the word cat uses it well. Um, Taylor down in lawn and um, and he only blocks our one-hour appointments and I was like what the hell I just want a haircut in an hour but you know um he explains to me and he will he says in the podcast you know like an hour's it's kind of cool just go in there sit down and you have a chat and it's like it's a cool shop cool vibe and you know um most hairdressers I never want to talk to and Taylor really brings it and he's uh good to have a natter with so anyway that was a cool experience I've been going back ever since and we have such good convos I was just like dude you should you should come by one time and have a chat to me on the horse's mouth. And so he has, um, kindly come by and, and we jump all over the map. I mean, he has, uh, a, it's a really long chat. Um, and well, Taylor's life, he really drills in there and you know, you can't, how do you compress someone's life into an hour? You can't. So if someone's just, you know, going for, I'm not going to be like, Hey dude, like we're on the clock, no, it's, you know, it's my guests time to, to to do their thing and I will try and corral them. And, but Taylor's came out longer and that's, that's fine. You know, there's so much like lots of interesting things I felt and I was, I was totally compelled listening to and interjecting when needed. But anyway, I hope you enjoy my chat with Taylor. He's such a good energy, good egg, good guy. Um, and, you know, he's uh, learned a lot through travel. And I just think that's such a huge thing for many people. You know, you learn lessons out on the road and seeing different cultures and meeting different people and seeing how different people are doing things, um, you know, and following your passions. And, well, just to tie it back, that's certainly a life that, that, that Rusty lived, you know. He really, really loved his, you know, surf And cars and family. And and he did that beautifully. Amazing human being. Greatly missed. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I I hope you enjoyed this chat I had with Taylor. Um, I really enjoyed having him over. And um, once again, thanks very much for lending me ears. I'll see you on the other side. Okay. Adios
1: far
0: forever. hi this is
1: david things have gone to hell. anyway i was out there and so <clears throat> this was a nice transition then i was into high school and so we my sister and i um the first couple years my sister went for two years i went for one but we went to a private school that was down the road and you know year seven just getting to know everybody things like that got home one day is about three quarters way through the year parents sat us down and they basically just said look we don't have enough money to send you guys to this private school but if you really want to go we'll make it work it's fine and so as a family we all sat around and we discussed and and um, both my sister and i agreed that look we didn't want to put you guys in this position we're happy to go to a public school it's okay you know and um, I mean, the experience of private and public is quite contrast, you know, the polarities are huge. I was in Caulfield, I was watching kids in year 12 rock up to school and my brand new beamers, you know, this like, and you know, also too, when you're that age, you just sort of think that these things are normal. You're obviously not gonna, you know, you're not your parents bookkeeper, so you don't really know what's happening. And um, and it's kind of str- it's kind of funny because when you're the, let's say the poor kid at a rich school, which sort of starts to stand out, you know, um, so then, when it was funny, we so we got to the end of the year, and you know, I had to say the goodbyes and whatnot. And the public school was actually not too far down the road on the other side. And it was funny; it was like the first day of year eight. I remember I was standing in the kitchen with my mum, and um, she looks at me and she's like, "Taylor, do you uh, do you still want me to make you fairy bread?" And I was just like, absolutely. I'm like, I'm not going to sacrifice what I want to do just because I'm going to step into this new space. You know, you are like, got to come as you are. And um, I remember we rolled up and, and it was like, it was a new beginning. You know, it was like all these kids from different backgrounds, different walks of life, you know, different attitudes and things like this. And it was funny, I noticed over the years, my academic side it's probably slipped but what i learned socially what i learned culturally and what i learned and how to adapt a little bit more of that street smarts was was far far more outweighed anything i probably would have learned at a private school you know so academically i probably didn't really fit that mold anyway or i didn't sort of focus on that but i learned a lot outside of it so but it was quite interesting as like high school sort of continued um it was probably about year end of year eight my dad got made redundant so he actually never had a job for about 12 years after that so 12 years 12 years yeah so um that was that was interesting so then I me, mean but my mum was the sole provider for the family um my dad sort of took a bad turn and started sort of spiraling and things like that he's um he was always a bit of a drinker my old man's from Scotland and stuff like that's pretty cultural so his drinking got worse and worse and things like that and so he would he would be heavily isolated in the study where he just sort of smoked darts and, and drink and things like that so
0: it's sort of old school behaviour like a lot of old foods did that of that ilk I think
1: classic classic old yeah. school behaviour you know and at the time like we've discussed it later in life but um, you know I didn't realise but he was suffering from his anxiety his depression and things like that but also too with his old school mentality it's like how do they reach out for help you know it's, it's just not it wasn't part of the program the default setting didn't allow it you know so yeah but um it made for a really tumultuous environment to grow up in you know it was um I was always the type of guy who sort of wanted to bridge the gap you know my sister probably stopped talking to my dad when she was about 16 years old still hasn't spoken to my dad um I as I said I was there I always tried to mend it and things like that but I was always the one in the fire line you know whether I was the only other Male in the house, or what it was, or whether my mum always protected me and things like this. But my dad was always super hard on me. Um, and he's even got worse and worse, and there was abuse in the family and things like this. And so it was, um, yeah, it, it definitely
0: wasn't easy, you know. No, it was we've, causing you anxiety, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was more just, um, being so confused, you know, as a young, adolescent, lesson you're already going through so many emotional changes that, um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm i've always been very distracted so i was able to distract myself in many different ways but what it did is it uh it created a very unstable environment to grow up in and so it created the polarity for me was black and white in terms of love and how to how to give and how to receive love so my mum, as it was so nurturing and so protective and my dad was so cold and disconnected that for me i was like i don't really know how to differentiate what this is you know and they stay together uh yeah they stayed together for quite a while up until I was in my 20s and then my dad ended up sort of leaving surprisingly which is crazy but um but it was interesting because when I could I would naturally be a kid who would love spending time outside you know I skated as much as I could yeah. I was blessed my family we've had a holiday home since my great-grandparents bought some dirt after the war in Aries so I always had this connection to the coast and I was always able to come down and surf and my old man never really came down for the Christmas holidays um it was a bit of a blessing and a curse you know because obviously young guy you want to spend time with the old man but it gave me the freedom you know less pressure there was no sort of stresses around I could just surf and be a kid ride my treadle in the bush and do all that you know the fun stuff and so... And did
0: you make friends and stuff that they hang out with down there?
1: Yeah, there was a couple of kids around, yeah, the a kid across the road who I always spend heaps of time with and like just surfed and, you know, just got to live that dream, you yeah. know? And, and that, that was... Having that experience always opened my mind up to the possibilities of what else is out there. And I... I felt like that was more home and more connection for me, you know, because we'd like, man, we go to Geelong. My grandparents from Geelong, and we'd have Christmas Day in Geelong, and then it gets to Boxing Day. We'd load up the red Gemini wagon with all the gear, and we'd cruise down to Aries, we'd just be at the shack, man. Five and a half weeks, just and just living our best life, you know. It, was, it was amazing. Yeah. So I felt like a suburban kid, but my heart was down the coast, you know. So. When I'd go back, I just I'd had to do anything I could to sort of emulate surfing or that lifestyle. And my room was just plastered with surf posters, and I'd skate every day, and every anything I could to just get that that feeling, you know. And so I was always an outdoor kid; i always loved that space. And and then it was funny because then I'd return home, and you know my parents were sort of big on curfews and things like that, and you know there was one thing you didn't do was not rock up late you know like that was yeah it wasn't worth it put it that way um so I would like rock home and regardless of whether it was a really best day of my life it was just like I never knew what I was going to walk into you know so that created that sort of instability within myself but it also meant that I I had to become resilient You know, so my awareness, my sort of what I saw and what I felt was probably different to a lot of other kids, you know, because anybody who's experienced, uh, anybody close to them who suffers from alcoholism, they understand the instabilities, you know, so you've got to really think on your feet. And so it was quite interesting through high school, you know, um, I remember there was this one day, there was a guy there and he was sort of using his experiences um, as leverage for people to feel sorry for him. You know, he was playing the role of the victim. Mm. And so I remember witnessing that and I, and I was very reserved too. I didn't really tell too many people um, about my experiences because when you're a kid, you also think that that's sort of normal in a way. Um, but I remember seeing this kid, I remember witnessing what he was doing and I thought to myself, I was like, man, I never want to be that guy. You know, like I never want people to feel sorry for me, for my experiences. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And sort of in that same moment too, I said to myself, if alcohol ever becomes a problem in my life, I'll just remove it, you know? So it was a pact to myself early on to stay true to that. And so, well, I got through high school thanks to uh, the support of my mum who like helped she read books for me and sort of told me to do it like told me what to write and things like that did
0: you have a learning something
1: something nah no no I love reading like I just it's all about application for me so I'm like when I apply myself to something I will go above and beyond but I just because there was so many distractions just high school just wasn't for me yeah you know so yeah so my mom did me a solid and <laughs> helped me out and she even said she's like look i'll um i'll get you an ipod for year 12 you know if you if you'll finish and i said you're right cool no worries that's a good deal and then my english teacher was my um coordinator and he pulled me aside and he said taylor he's like look so you have an ability to distract the class <laughs> He's like, how about you just sit up the back, listen to music, do the work requirements, and then we'll be fine. I said, yep, roger that. You got a deal. So I got to breeze through year 12. You know, before I'd even finished, I knew that I was doing a pre-apprenticeship, a carpentry apprenticeship the following year. So I was just like, basically, like, the the social organizing, you know, like making sure the parties were gonna go down when they were gonna go down and what was happening and things like that. So I had a blast, you know, it was heaps of fun. And then did it finish year 12, uh, I passed surprisingly, but I got through it, and then it was. Was it still VCA? Was it VCA? Yeah, yeah it was yeah, still VCE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got a pretty pretty low score, but it was funny. I told my mum, you know, we got the results, and then mum got home from work, and I told her, and she just said, "Oh, that's great, you passed. That's great. That's all that matters." And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." Oh, dude,
0: as a, uh, look, very similar stuff going on. Like, I'm like, I'm so relating everything, like a lot that you're saying, and I'm like, yeah, same. I was the lowest mark in my year. Yeah, you know, yeah. like a fuck you know. What did you get? I don't even know, but I, was, I remember at the time everyone was like, oh my God, what?
1: Yeah, I, I remember, man, I got like 14 or something. I don't even enter.
0: remember know what it was out of. Yeah, like, I think it's out of 100. Okay, I, yeah, I like probably that. would have been around that mark too. It was terrible, man, but yeah. I really didn't apply at, at all.
1: Nah, definitely not. And, it, and I mean, it just goes to show too, like I if I cut some young cats in, in the shop, then... I'll always just tell them, like, man, this is obviously important to you right now, but there's a whole, you know, life is about to begin when you're finished, you know. It's like, because it's your whole world, right? Everything about it, high school, is, that's your world, so.
0: Well, and that formula of learning doesn't fit. A nah. lot of people out of learning dis- disability and it was never picked up at school. And so I just thought it was a dumb, I want to say cunt, but <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how I felt about myself. It took a long yep. time for me to realize, oh, actually, no, I'm not.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, and then to be able to say, no, I'm not.
1: How empowering, right? And also because it's like, I always say, if somebody shows me how to do something, I can do it pretty much straight away. But if I have to read the instruction or I have to look for the information to retrieve it, to then apply it, not my forte. So
0: when you get the instructions for something new...
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. That's a little bit of pride because I'm like, oh, I got this. But now as I've gotten older, I'm like, you know what? The instructions probably have a lot of good information. Yeah, I'll well <laughs> give them a, a little, a little browse over. So, but it was, it was funny because then I left high school and I started this. I did my pre apprenticeship at, at TAFE and then I started, and I remember the first year was wasn't that pleasant you know there's obviously a lot of people out there who've done apprenticeships and especially back in the day this is so I finished high school in 2004 so 2005 I was doing it and stuff and um yeah there was it was it was just I know it it was surreal you know like you know when you do actually leave high school you start a job I remember the first birthday I had outside of high school where I had to work I had to work on my birthday man I was devastated (laughs) I was like this is surreal I was like what do you mean I have to work on my birthday that's so I've got a little bit of a pact to myself now I do not work on my birthday you know like that's just how it rolls it's those days are too special to me to 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 work and to Mm. sort of hand it over so Mm. but it was um it's funny because i did that year year and a half and then got to like the christmas time and my mom was like oh is there anything you want for christmas and i was like i do not want anything carpentry like i don't want to be reminded you know and and once again my mum's support, you really helped me through and she's like you know that classic line you know you just finish it so then you got something to fall back on and things like that yeah. and i mean at the time it's painful to hear but it's it's the truth right it's like it creates that foundation and and that ultimately is what set me up to be able to travel not only around this country and live in state many times but also over and come and go and things like that so, so you
0: did finish the chippy apprenticeship
1: yeah 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 i was yeah qualified, became qualified so i left about a year and a half in
0: yeah.
1: and so at this stage like i was still living at home um but i was away from the house as much as i possibly could be me and my old man you know we live in the same house but we'd go months without talking to each other things like that so i was man i was ready to split you know Were so you drinking Yeah. Yeah. I was partying. Yeah. I was partying quite a bit back then. Um, had a really tight, beautiful group of friends. It was just when like the sort of electro sort of house music scene really started to take over. So we were sort of hitting the clubs and having a heap of fun and things like that. So, but it was, it was, you know, it was the grind. Like Like raves? Uh, more just, um, yeah, more just like Melbourne CBD city sort of vibe, you know? And um,
0: Just square that. Oh,
1: yeah, 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 good. And, yeah, just the city. Yeah. Really just, like, focus on the city and just and running and, and back in those days, you, you felt like you could just sort of – you were invincible, right? You could just, yeah, do, totally. yeah. <laughs> You could just do whatever you wanted. You don't even need sleep and go to work. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. You just just do whatever you did and just, you know, did it as best you could, right? And yeah. so, But I'd always try and sneak down the coast, and I'd, I'd try and bring in as many homies as I could down to sort of – especially cats who hadn't ever really experienced anything outside of the suburbs and the city – and so, what would be like, oh, a surf dedicated surf weekend was of course, like surfing party, you know, like surf, yeah, 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 yeah. so you know yeah. just what I came along the territory, and yeah. so I was about a year and a half in this apprenticeship, having a ball, and a friend calls me one day and he's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm nailing on some architraves in a wardrobe." And he's like, "No, man. he's like, what are you doing with your life?" And I was like, well, that's a good question. Who asked you this So there's a friend of mine who I grew up with went to school with. He was a year older than me. But he'd moved up to the sunny coast. So he was living up there. And he's like, man, just got out of the surf. It was so fun. I'm in boardies. I was surfing in boardies. The sun shining. Man, you should think about moving up here. Was this
0: the guy that was like the your mate in primary school?
1: Uh, no, no. This is just a friend different from school. Yeah, 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 different yeah. dude. So. So he sort of laid that on me, and I was just thinking to myself, and it's like everything just stopped, like life just stopped. And I said, man, let me give you a call back. And so I hung up the phone, and I was standing there in this cupboard, like looking around. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, like this is fun, but, you know, I I felt like I was so distracted by partying in the city that I wanted to be by the coast. I wanted to focus on catching more waves, and, and I was doing this apprenticeship, and then it's about five minutes later, I called him back up. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm in he's like really I'm like yeah yeah let's do this so I told my best buds at the time I said you know I'm, I'm moving to the sunny coast and nobody really believed me for about a, a year about a, sorry, excuse me, about a month month and a half and then a friend turns to me after that time he's like man are you still moving and I was like yeah yeah I'm going and so my buddy came down from the sunny coast we partied over New Year's it was a huge party and I packed the old VC wagon and that was it man I was I was off and I remember I got to gun the guy, blew a head gasket, oh. had to stay. RACV fortunately put me up um, and then we got it all repaired and got on the road, did a 22 hour mission because he was already a day or two late for work. And I remember driving up and I knew I, I could feel that this was going to be the stepping stone, you know? I left everything I knew behind, as painful as it was, but I knew that this was it, you know? And I was, this was the start of me connecting to my truth. And so I moved up to the sunny coast, and, man, it was like the classic futon in the corner of the lounge room set up. Like, it was just yeah. like, you know what it's yeah. like? You know, and many cats have experienced it, you know? But it's like, that's like where you start and it was like every saturday night all the crew would call me drunk and be like oh all this sort of stuff and and you know it was hard it was painful but then i would wake up on the sunday fresh and we had this perfectly rectangled grassy backyard and then the classic queensland scrub with the turkeys running around and you walk through the scrub it was like 150 meters and then you pop out over the dunes and you're at the ocean and it was like Crystal blue, warm water. And I used to wake up every Sunday and go. This is why I'm doing it. This what I'm doing. It, you know, and I'd catch waves and I'd just be there. And it was it was an incredible year and a half. You know, because I really tuned into myself. Learn how to cook. I didn't even know how to use a washing machine. You know, like I had to ask the the OG in the house. I was like, "Brother, how do you use this thing?" <laughs> you
0: know? It's like a smoking bomb question.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. What is this? What is this thing?
1: Like? <laughs> I've had it too good. And so it was. It was actually a really reformed year of, of my life, even though I was still quite young and and learn all the fundamentals of what you had to learn to survive. Mm-hmm. And so and I was adamant that I didn't want to be that guy who rang up and asked for money you know like I was I think it was two times in a year and a half I had to ask my mom for a little bit of cash to like 200 bucks to pay the rent you know and so that was like the, that was the learning curve, you know, that was like my little life start apprenticeship. And so at the time I was still doing,
0: but you had a few skills under your belt. You've got this carpentry stuff happening. I mean, that's pretty handy shit.
1: Yeah. The carpentry stuff was happening. I was doing a bit of furniture removal on the side. I was shooting up to Noosa every other weekend, you know, hitting, hitting koala bar and rolling rock, you know, as you do. You
0: know, I used to work in the koala bar.
1: Really? <laughs> yeah. Dude, one Eye Tim. Is that cast still cruising man? one Eye Tim. Yeah.
0: Um, oh, far out maybe i just um there was i don't none of them would be there anymore this was a punter you're talking about yeah yeah yeah,
1: it's like a local legend used to come in and love dancing to michael jackson yeah maybe
0: man it was all a fair blur uh it was that was in like 96 nice yeah anyway
1: man good times in those parts yeah really good (laughs) (laughs) really good anyway keep going and so, yeah, the whole sunny coast was was amazing. it really did open up that scope, and then it was that that was a year of like twenty first, so all my friends were still you know heavily celebrating, having a good time i ended up going back for my 21st organized everybody to come together and then went back up to sunny coast and then eventually moved back you know i was like all right now it's time because sunny coast at that point i can't really comment now but it was a bit of a sleepiest sort of place you know like it was really. it was classy man like i remember first getting there and we would go out to Maruchidor and we'd be out of the pub and it was funny because like girls would be checking you out because they're like who's this dude And then guys would be staring at me like, who's this dude? And I was probably one of the only ones who was wearing jeans or pants because I don't really party in shorts. So I'm like, am I going to get my head bashed in because I'm wearing pants? I was like, what's happening up here? And so (laughs) it was like, yeah, I was definitely like, I stood out like a sore thumb, but... It was, um, it just wasn't my space to sort of carry on. So moved back to, to Melbourne, sort of fell right, right back into that scene, you know, as you do, some friends at the time were quite successful in the DJ game. So we sort of rode their coattails, floated around, things like this. And so it um, eventually got to the point where I finished my apprenticeship and I was just like, I gotta get out and I moved down to Lawn. And so I was down in Lawn, I got a job working at the Falls Festival. Yeah. And we was about four months lead up to the festival and got to do all the chippy work and things like this. And Did you work f- with
0: Lee? Which Lee? Uh, with the long hair and dreadies, friends with Simon. You spend a lot of time in Mexico, sort of tall, or skinnier dude.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know Lee? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are, man, those are some cool cats out there. Yeah. Like from all different walks of life. And like even Simon, Naomi, from the family, everybody was so beautiful and welcoming. And yeah, well I, I loved it. And that was like my first experience working as a qualified carpenter outside of it. So I was like, this What a is, great entry. Right, I was like, this is wonderful. And then, so I met a cat there who, Pedro, who's originally from peru and um and we every time we work together during the day i just get him to tell me about peru i'm like yeah. man what's it like things like this and and he was a beautiful storyteller man so he really opened up and we had this awesome connection and i was like that's it that's where i'm going you know south america and so i saved my pennies worked real hard and then at the time i was like also I had a job in a restaurant in lawn as well old barba Luba it was a bit of an institution if you were a part of it super loose and um and so I remember worked the summer, hustled. I actually ended up breaking my arm two, like four days before the festival. I was like skating bowl and just came off and just snapped my arm in a couple of spaces. So I like couldn't even work as like the site crew for this festival for falls. So I just got to party through it and have a good time. And so I just... Bought my time, waited for the cast and the arm to heal, and I was off. I was like, let's go, South America. And so I remember I flew into the States. I got some family in the States, spent a bit of time with them. My cousin's classmate was Chilean, and he's like, man, go down to Chile, stay with my family, it'll be heaps of fun. I was like, cool. So I remember I flew into Santiago. This was just after the 2010 earthquake, so the airport was a pancake. It was completely squashed. Like, really?
0: And it was could, still operational?
1: still operational. And so many people who just, they they chose not to go, you know. I was, I was, the plane was pretty much empty, rolled in. Yeah, airport wasn't looking too good. You know, there's marquees set up on the tarmac. I'm going through customs. I was like, okay, cool. I jump in the back of this cab. I pull out this little phrase book. I didn't even know how to say hello in Spanish. <laughs> I'm like looking back, I'm like, oh, hola. And the dude's like, hola, ¿Cómo estás? And I was like, ¿Cómo estás? What does that mean? I was like, Shit. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, hold on, brother, give <laughs> us a sec. And so I had this address, so he dropped me off and this dude's younger brother was about a year younger than me. So he really showed us around. You know, we went to the coast and we caught waves, we'd longboard, we'd be bombing hills, we just he'd take me to a couple parties, and we're just a little bit more affluent. Um, through the Chilean culture like people uh, educated so they can speak more better English you know so I'd be going to these parties and there'd be all these beautiful women there and they'd be you know I'm this new guy they'd be coming up and then we also they're like, tripping on your eyes they're tripping on my eyes and it's like they're like what do you do for work and I'm like oh I'm a carpenter and then I'd just be watching these reactions you know I'm the same carpenter and they're just sort of it's like they just automatically had no idea what was going on and i was like i'm probably saying it wrong and i'm like oh carpentario like you know <laughs> trying to get the spanish across and then anyway it was just funny because you know when you're kidding canister you get a little bit overwhelmed there's all these beautiful women and so anyway it got to like the next day and i said to my buddy i was like man why do girls act strange when i say that i'm a carpenter and he's like man he's like that's like one of the you know, lowest-paid jobs you can do here in this country. I'm like, really? And then sort of sat down and like, I would never tell anybody how much money I make. That's not my style. Mm-hmm. But I sort of just put it into perspective, you know, like what was going on and what we were in at home. And he couldn't believe it, you know. And I was like, wow. And the funny part was like, I never used to be that proud to say I was a carpenter. I just sort of did it. You know, it's just what I did. Yeah. But it never really felt like me. Is just something that was part of the process. And so. Then we go to these other parties. And so I said, I'd telling chicks I'm an architect. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, this carpenter <laughs> thing is not working out very well. <laughs> yeah. So it was a whole different approach. But it was fun because we got to spend some time there. Got an insight to this Chilean Santiago life. And then next thing you know, I'm on a bus and I'm cruising up the coast. And we popped into a couple of towns, Arica, Kike, and like courtways. And I bumping in some Aussie cats, doing some towing surfing on this, this outer reef. Um, El Gringo is like, they held like a WCT comp there ages ago, but it's gnarly. It's, It's sort of like, sort of like a porto, but it's like right onto rocks. And then out the back is El Boyo, so this outer reef. And I went down with the crew and they'd been practicing a couple of days doing toes and I was just, and El Gringo wasn't really working. It was just all, it was a mess. And so I said to the crew, I'm like, oh, do you mind if I paddle out and just sit on the shoulder or just watch you guys? They're like, yeah, cool. No worries. Was it really cold? It was pretty cold, yeah, definitely. Like I was, I think I was in a 43 three at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I paddled out to the shoulder and I was just watching these dudes and they were just whipping in. And it was cool, it was like it was probably like 10 foot. And then it was funny cause I was sitting next to this cat and he's like, oh man, he turned to me. And he's like, oh, you'll probably get the biggest of the day. And I was just like, oh, I mean, I'm coming off a of broken arm. So I didn't really even surf for three months. And then a little while later, the guy who was on the ski pulls up and he's like, do you want to go? And like, I didn't even hesitate. I'm like, absolutely. So I just like picked up the rope and we took off. And he's starting to whip me in, and it was like first of the set. And he just starts pointing first. out. The, was it? Boy, well, yeah, he, he's gonna whip me into the first one. And then he just starts pointing out the back, and I was like, whatever. I'm like, Let's, whatever you say. And so he cuts another loop and whips around. And I just remember like letting go of this rope. And it was like, there was no... I had no perception of where I was on the wave. It was because I didn't yeah. paddle in. So I'm like going down this thing. And it just went forever and ever and ever and ever and down and down. I finally fell to where I got to the bottom. And then did this is on my backhand too. So then I've gone up and the thing was like climbing a mountain, man. And I like managed to just navigate this wave and have some fun. And I saw it feathering at the top, a bit further down the line. I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm good. Popped off the back. And it was the most euphoric experience of my life you know like I was still shaking for days and um, and that sense of that feeling alive like being in this another country yeah. and everything about it you know like I was I was in my most comfortable zone you know I was like this is it and so managed to go up the coast and you know I went from chile to peru ecuador colombia sailed from colombia to panama Surfed all through central america up to mexico how much
0: time are we talking about here like it's like eight months 8 months. 8 months, yeah. So you were on the slow boat.
1: Yeah, I was on the slow boat, man, absolutely. I remember my home before I, before I left, he came around to my house. I had the atlas out and I had the the continent of South America up and he's like, "Man, what are the plans?" And I was like, "Well, I fly in here, which was Santiago, and I said and I fly out of there, which was Mexico City, and I said 8 months. Anything can happen.
0: Philly motorcycle diary is kind gonna...
1: of yeah, yeah. Well, I actually kept a diary the whole time. You awesome. It's like a little investment for later down the track, you know. And so, um, everything happened on that trip. You know, fell in love. Yeah. Got waves. I couldn't even dream it was possible. Um, went to the jungle. You know, stayed in, in the in the Amazon with a family. Got like you know trials, tribulations, good times. Yeah, crew. Nah, not too bad. Awesome. Not too bad. I'm pretty fortunate in that area, like stomach. I've I got a little tactic when I'm overseas. I always brush my teeth with the water, with running water. Yeah. I always, whether whether it's true or not, I don't know. But it, I feel it slowly introduces little bits into your, bo- into your body in a very small dosage. So even my time in India and things like that, it's still
0: never been sick. Out of a tap? Out of a tap, yeah. But you don't swallow it, you just rinse.
1: Don't swallow it, like, yeah. Yeah. That's like the luxury. Just get a little
0: tiny bit. Yeah. Uh, this is what's around, buddy. There's yeah. more of this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's plenty more around. Yeah, just be careful, buddy. Like slow and steady. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like letting them know what to be, what to look out for. Yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah.
0: So, um, you're you partying at this stage still?
1: Yeah, partying for sure.
0: That so, was Columbia? Yeah, that so, yeah, was a good ask.
1: <laughs> that was a good time for sure. It was, it was classic because, um, my mom was super supportive about the trip. You know, super excited for me. She did say if there's one country can you please you know add a little bit more correspondence can it be when you travel through colombia and it was funny because i mean this is back 2010 so you know you used to do the internet cafes like there was yeah. devices things like that yeah. so you'd roll into this like right, sort of like dingy internet cafe that always there was always one sort of creepy dude up the back you knew what he was doing but you didn't want to know what he was doing and so you'd go in there and you know you'd set aside like two three hours right like you get all everything you needed to do done and then you'd sign off for another month yeah and it was just the joys of disconnection and um And it was funny because when we rolled into Columbia, I ended up doing my open water out in this, in this national park in Taganga and Santa Mata, which is up in the north. You did your what? Open water diving. Oh, diving. Yeah, the I scuba diving. The paddy thing. The paddy thing. Yeah. So we were out on this, um, we, we slept in hammocks on this national park. We'd wake up in the morning, go diving, then have breakfast, go for another dive. And I was with the uh, the girl I was seeing at the time and it was just, it was heaven, you know? It was like it was like the beach with Leonardo, you know? Yeah, that sort of vibe. Yeah, yeah. And so, and of course, like Columbia is a little bit of a world, wind you know there's hot summer storms and there's good places to party and you know good music bit of reggaeton you know <laughs> so <laughs> you can join the dots for and sure. And did
0: you um, Espanol uh, I don't know how to say sharpen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, it got better definitely yeah. it was the girl that I'd met she was traveling with quite a big group of friends so and they were all Australians um, and so my Spanish I it definitely sort of decreased through that time. It's probably yeah. about a three-month period. They were all hanging out and cutting loose. Yeah. Um, but then back end of the trip, sort of picked back up and things like that. So classic scenario, you know, when you can understand more than you can speak and a couple of beers definitely help. So it's sort of <laughs> – and everybody's quite theatrical with their hands anyway. So it's, I feel like it's a game of charades. Yeah. <laughs> you can sort of <laughs> you can sort you can figure it out. <laughs> So it was a really well-balanced trip, you know, everything about it. And it was cool because I met the right people at the right time that I would later then have connections with still do. And as I said, surf some incredible waves and partied in the Caribbean, you know, wrote some some wild, treacherous stuff over in the Pacific and, you know, made up to Mexico and got guns held to us and all that sort oh, of Oh, awesome. All that sort of stuff, mm. you know how it is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all the fun stuff. So that sort of brought us back to the States and then I went over to the UK and I sort of stayed there with some friends in a house with like fifteen other people. it was called the Barn.
0: So you went from South America The beach vibe. Full beach vibe. UK share house.
1: Into a UK share house rolled into winter. Oh. Grimy. Yeah. Real grimy. And at that stage, I was staying in a room with two other two friends of mine, and I, I personally nicknamed it the swamp. It was like it was a bit of a low key. Everybody would come down to like smoke cones in this room, and I had to like ask the boys, Can we just maybe put that outside? Because I'm trying to sleep a little bit here. <laughs> and, um, and then it was just there, were, didn't matter what was going on the weekend, there was always a group of people who wanted to party, yeah, you know, and so you couldn't really escape it. And also, too, I was like, I really just don't think this place is for me, you know, like London's just not my jam. And also too, London when you broke, is not a great place to be. I mean, anywhere, right? But London sort of <laughs> really shines that light. So I think I lasted about four months. I shot up to Scotland, got to meet my family for the first time, had my first white Christmas. And that was a really wholesome part of the experience that was your dad's side that was my dad's side yeah yeah. so he has three brothers and a cousin cousins and things like that so that was wonderful it was just a a very surreal experience to meet somebody for the first time but feel so connected and so in tune with them and and obviously like facial similarities and things like that yeah yeah yeah. it was beautiful but um, I was yeah by that stage I was ready to go home you know after after the UK and so Got back to Melbourne, ended up living in North Carlton and did six months there, and I, but I- Chipping? Chipping, yeah, I was on the tools, which was good. And by that stage, I, sort of, I, I had all my tools, I was ready to go, so it was easy to find work. But I was in Melbourne, but I was doing jobs in Sorrento and things like that with this, this group I was working with. But then every second weekend, I was down in Lawn anyway, so I, after six months in, North carlton I was just like, I'm I just wanna be by the coast, I just wanna be surfing again. So came back down the coast, did did the sort of same routine where down here I was working and then it led up to summer, to worked real hard again, saved some more coin and then I was sort of back on the road. So two thousand twelve Took off to Indo, spent four months going through all the islands of Indo, all the major islands, ended up out in the Mentawise, which is really beautiful. So, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Did you go, like, on a map right to left? Did you go to yeah. Zimbabwe and then work your way back up to the ment So, how far?
1: Yeah, right to left. So, out of Zimbabwe, back to Lombok, scored a good swell at deserts. Sick. Bali. Bali was always, like, I never really pull my boards out of Bali yeah, 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 there was yeah, like there was yeah. other distractions in Bali yeah. You know?
0: yeah
1: and so Bali then went over to Java and then surfed the south of Java which was beautiful and then over to Sumatra then out to the Ments and then posted up there for Atlanta's right for a month
0: how epic
1: beautiful yeah and I I found out like because a lot of people obviously call the, the Ments like the mentalities, but living there, we were staying there for a month. Like it's definitely pronounced and mental wise.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So it was like one thing I definitely picked up, but it was beautiful because stayed in this homestay and just basically, I mean, we called Lance's right, the TV, right? Like we just, watched yeah. it all day every day and you picked your times and you'd have these moments where all the boats would be around at Lancer's left and then the wind would swing next thing you know it's offshore at the right and you just got it to yourself you know because it's too late in the day for the boats to come around yeah. so it was dreamy it was absolutely dreamy so I um after that four month stint I cruised over to the states actually back to the states and ended up go into burning man <laughs> so
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah which, <laughs> did go on,
1: which was incredible it was funny because i flew into la and i had no idea how i was going to make it work but i just knew that i was going to go to burning man yeah. and then ended up a cat who i'd met in lombok he reached out to him and he's he's like dude we're here and he was seeing this girl who i'd met when i was in south america and the next thing you know it was literally this crew who i'd spent time with we were all virgins, nobody had been before. I just jump in there, Winnebago, we're taken off into the desert. And next thing you know, we're lying down. You've got to ring a gong. When you first get there, you got to do like a, a plier angel. So you're down in the dust doing this angel, oh, yeah. saying, I'm not a virgin anymore, ringing this gong. And they're just this welcoming you into this desert. Are you, are you uh, sober at this point? Yeah, sober. Mm. A couple of beers, you know, as, yeah. <laughs> as normal, but it was like, cruise in and it, it's this insane energy like you know this is black rock city so there's like 75 80 thousand people that just are electrified you know they've come out of their their experience their world their universes into this space and they've just made it this adult circus this burners brother. man they live burners. for it
0: that, that is man. their jam that's it that oh, is life
1: that is what life. happens
0: outside there is not so much
1: the, the, you just and because I didn't realize at the time but a lot of cats they have aliases you know like they step into this space as this either uh, entity being you know mystery of like of who they maybe want to be who they are the alter ego whoever it's like and I mean the art installations are just breathtaking you know from the smallest little detail to these i mean at the the year that i went it was wall street that was the theme so you've got the man that the, they burned but then they had this like insanely high long timber structures of wall street that then they burned it was even bigger inferno than the man so it's like we're all standing i'm standing there on this art cart that's a giant blue coat hanger and i'm standing there watching wall street burn just high on acid just like this is wonderful you know this is something else and so you're just seeing the costumes and you're seeing the interactions and the hugs and like just the effort that people put in i mean did you ever see that movie tank girl
0: tank girl tank girl it
1: was like my reference in terms of costumes and designs it's very similar to that you know it's like almost armageddon mad max sort of vibe yeah, right yeah and okay. you know i remember like you just I, there was this <laughs> there's this guy i met him early one morning he just sort of came out of nowhere next thing you know we're hugging and we're chatting and this and that and he's like yeah man i work at the hug dally and i was like hug dally okay cool didn't really know what he was talking about and anyway we sort of go our separate ways and i think it was a day or two later and i'm with my buddy and we're on our treadleys ride and through the plier, and then sure enough in the middle was just like this little stand this stall and said hug dally and I was like oh, I'm like, oh Molly, there it is <laughs> hug dally so I rolled up to see if homie was there and like he wasn't but there was a couple of cats and they were wearing these orange aprons and it was just perfect timing. The guys were like, oh, here you go, boys. Do you want to? Do you want to work? And we were like, sure. So they <laughs> sling these aprons over us, and then next thing you know, the hug dally was there was a menu up on top, right? And there's, there's a menu of all these different hugs. There was like the gangster hug, the warm and fuzzy, the 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 um the playful hug, and so people would come out of nowhere and they just order these hugs. So we just spent hours just hugging people <laughs> in Burning Man in this playa. It was amazing. Like, if people come into your life, you're falling in and out of love like every other time, and you're like, "Well, this is wonderful." And just the embrace—it was just—it was spectacular and just to see how people can connect when you take away all the normal pressures right like mm. money things like that and people think that you have to stand there exchanging with another person but it's just like karmic cycle you know like what i give to you you'll give to somebody else and you know you'll pay it forward and the flow on effect so to feel that i mean this energy just resonates with you like for
0: months and months afterwards and have no rubbish anywhere
1: no rubbish everybody just takes care of it cleans up after themselves and it's just you just think to yourself you're like why can't we live like that you know it's it's just almost too perfect but you know all good things have to sort of come to an end but it's like what you take from it that carries on and and i actually linked up with a friend of mine who i met in peru and he he's australian and he was there with a couple of buddies who he was in a band with and so next thing you know we didn't meet at the at the at the burn but we met in reno you know i don't know whether you've ever been to reno but Mm-mm. man that's a clapped out crazy old town
0: I, 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 you know reno 911, the tv show nah fuck it's so funny it's really? so quirky yeah, <laughs> right. yeah it's a it's a, sp- it's a spoof on police yeah anyway that's never no, so- no, been to reno well
1: it's funny because like at that stage i don't know whether they still do it but the after party for burning man was in an old casino in reno and I was like, talk the about the
0: after party the, for Burning Man. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, I have right. not heard about this. <laughs> right? That like it this must be d- loose. So loose.
1: I right. was like, but it's but you. was <laughs> like still super dirty and dusty and just like yeah. still spinning out, and then you're in a casino and you're like, what are we doing here? Like, how did this happen so quick? You know, <laughs> I've
0: got like visions of uh, the end of um, uh, um, fear and loathing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, his alligators on the ground. He's like his man, cigarette on a stick. Like, Fuck! <laughs>
1: absolutely convertible. <laughs> just, man, That's it, why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was something else. I remember it was just, and because Reno has that that real raw authenticity to it too. You know, you know that some wild stuff's gone down in Reno. You know, and I love that, especially through the states too, where you see an old neon sign that sort of flickers like half half lit you know street street lights are sort of scattered yeah. and out and it's just I don't know it has this like modern cowboy sort of feel to it you know grimy it's sort of like a lot it's of the like states little, has
0: got that grimy rundown yeah. beat I, I, I like it. I personally like it.
1: Same, man. I mean, it's like the dark side of the moon, right? Yeah. It's like that's where sort of the creatures of the night hang out. You know, it's wonderful.
0: Even around Los Angeles, it's like it's not perfect. Everything's cracked and kind of fucked up, and it's oh, well lived and
1: it's so well lived. Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> I really like that.
1: Yeah, I think because it's just like that. You feel like you get that street view, you know? Yeah. And
0: it's and fun. there's an authenticity to it that's like I don't know around here. You know, there's a crack somewhere. And they fix it straight away, and they got witches hats up, and it's like. <laughs>
1: fucking fuck off <laughs> yeah exactly just like leave it for a couple of years yeah. just let it marinate and it'll figure itself out yeah you know? yeah I, the states are so authentic like that you know it's uh. very confronting but it's also very welcoming and it just I mean for a place of imagination you know where it's uh, and dreams, and like Reno is definitely one of those places where dreams go to die a little bit, you know, it has that. So, you know, that point in, um, in Fear and Loathing, where they're like on the other side of Vegas and they're eating pie, and there's like the waitress and she's got the scar on her face.
0: And does he pull a look like, like a real. Is that the moment?
1: Yeah, was like all the guy he's like psychic. Oh, the, yeah, I know. Exactly yeah, hands over yes. the number and stuff like that, and yeah. she gets really offended and things like that. It was just, yeah, that's what Reno reminds you of, you know, like where things didn't go right for a lot of people. Mm. So, I, yeah, I love that vibe.
0: Um, <laughs> when, <and the> <laughs> when things don't go right for other people,
1: yeah, because that's when it gets real, you know. because yeah, really real. That's when people got scary. Think on, yeah, that's when people got to think on their feet.
0: You it know? spooked me the fuck out in Los Angeles. Like the, the people who were doing waitering, and you knew that they were being there were just a little bit too long. Yeah, hadn't quite found the dream.
1: Haven't quite found the dream, and still always answer like when you say, "What do you do?" They're like, oh, "I'm an actor. I'm an actress." And say like, what? oh Looks like you're waiting tables, but I understand. Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. So
0: the numbers, the sheer numbers of it was that spooked me out.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it's, it's this magnet, right? I used to, when I lived in California, I used to, whenever I'd go up to LA, I just remember like being on the interstate and you just feel this energy, like this wave, man. I don't know whether other people felt it, but I was just like, whoa, it was a lot to deal with, you know, a lot of ego there, a lot of facade. A lot of people were like really just trying to make it, you know.
0: Yeah, it's a real light and dark. I Like, I, 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 I for a while thought LA going to kill me.
1: Yeah, how long did you live there for?
0: Uh, seven years. Wow, man, commendable effort. Um, but I, at the start, I was like, oh, if I don't, if I drink, this joint's going to kill me. Because I spent a lot of time before that and partying heavy in in there. Yeah, uh, I had an ex girlfriend that was from there, lived there, and I spent a lot of time there with her and her clique of friends, and I just very loose you know it was only there for short stints so you were able to just be a party boy and not work and just go with that flow and then when i went back and i had knew that and And then i was drinking and i promised myself i wasn't going to and then and i only knew the dark you know that was real that dark you you know that's there Mm, definitely and i didn't know there was a light there until i you know cleaned up my act stopped drinking and met all these people that were just completely on the other side of it who were really fucking light and cool and just not pulled down by that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so
0: this really a po- polaric, po- po- the polarity there is like uncanny.
1: Yeah. It's wild, man. Like, and you can like, you can almost like feel the suffering, but you just witness the joy at the same time. Yeah, you know? it's it's like, it's like the crew on Skid Row um who like a guy drives past in a ferrari you know and it's like
0: the imbalance is so visible skid row did you go down to skid row i saw yeah yeah that joint is the closest thing we've got to zombie apocalypse straight up
1: straight up there's actually there's a dude i just sort of recently um started following where he like takes photos of characters on skid row it's amazing it's beautiful because you think about it like we all go through hard times in our life man but it's like imagine that daily you know living, living I, I can't
0: like we did some volunteer work down there one night and it freaked me the fuck out yeah I just couldn't I couldn't like I'd never been into the heart of it and yeah it was frightening yeah I I don't I, know how people nah. get out of that nor do I there's no safety net nah did you read in the paper I saw in the paper this morning there's a guy who's shooting homeless people in Washington and New York right now. Really? He's done seven people or wow. something in the last little sh- very short space. That's crazy. Mask, pulls, a- put a mask on. And he's just going up and shooting homeless people.
1: That's wild. That's
0: fucked up. I stayed in a homeless
1: shelter in Washington, D.C. Did you? Yup. From, uh, yeah. yeah, from choice? Yeah. yup. from choice. Yeah, because I was living in Amsterdam at the time. I spent 10 months... To a year of volunteering in two homeless shelters, cutting hair. Hold so,
0: on. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> let's back this up a second. So let's finish where we're at. You were um, we were coming out of um, the the desert. Burning Man, yeah, Burning yeah, Man, yeah. <clears throat> in Reno, yeah
1: there and then i i caught up with my buddy who i'd met in peru and so he was living over in adelaide he was playing in this band and there was probably it was half the members of the band so i met up with my buddy met these other cats and then they were cruising down to new orleans and so i was going to go to flag stuff in arizona so i was like oh is it cool if i ride with
0: what were you going to do there
1: well, it was another buddy who I met in South America. I was just like, I was going to go say hi. Yeah, yeah. See how I was doing. Yeah, 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 cool. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming around. And so classic old, like, you know, those Cherv old plumber vans? You know, the States are like littered yeah. with them. And so the boys had bought one of these. The Bedford van sort of thing? The Bedford sort of yeah. yeah. And so we rolled in and it was classic, like, it was perfect because it was five of them. I made six. And then it was like the driver's seat, the pilot's seat, co-pilot bench seat and then the boot space and so all oh, the boys had brought over instruments and we they got in rugs and things like that so it was this perfect transition where if you were in the boot you'd be catching z's or doing whatever you're doing um i got a tattoo in the back of the van um <laughs> <laughs> we you'd go from the from the boot and then you go into the front seat and then people from the front would go into the middle and then that was it's like just
0: rotating through the van. As was a
1: rotating through the van. Yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. And so we ended up going going down. we were cruising along and we um we eventually made it to Flagstaff and it was funny. It was there was this guy. He we went out for dinner and there was this cat that they'd spent some time with the Burning Man and so he was over in Thailand for a little while. Was a huge weed smoker. Did heaps of like. Um, trimming things like that when he was in thailand obviously because it's quite severe if you get caught with weed and stuff he'd read done his research and he realized that you could get high on nutmeg like just the herb right so he's telling the boys about nutmeg and things like that and so we were we went out for dinner the next is the truth to that there is truth to that Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah so we went out it was the next day we're still in flagstaff went grab some mexicans a couple of the the boys met these two girls they were because it's a college town right it's like at the foot of this mountain and um the girls like oh we just moved into this place we're gonna have a house party you guys should come play you're musicians we're like cool so we like carried on out throughout the day and then we're sort of in like the town square and we thought, I'm like all right now's the chance we should maybe give this nutmeg a go you know and so i went skated down to the supermarket got a heap of like coconut milk and these little packets of nutmeg and went back to the van and the six of us and we got the six cups and we you know from a gram we had half a gram each or whatever and we just drank this nutmeg just thinking like you know what what could happen (laughs) so (laughs) you know as you do when you're on the road yeah and so it, it gets to a bit later on and we we end up going to this girl's house we set up gypsy style set up the tents and things like that in the front yard and we cruise in and the one thing that the warrior said this guy was named the warrior of course <laughs> he said that the, the meg in short you attract people like you just become this magnet and so anyway we're we're standing there we're in a living room and we're all starting to get giddy and so it's really it's quite a strange feeling you know it sort of comes on a little bit like a you know sort of like an md sort of feeling you know and you're sort of warm and fuzzy but you don't really know what's happening we kept sort of laughing and joking anyway we're just chatting and and we thought to ourselves we're like all right well let's just play some music anyway we'll just see what happens there was nobody there next thing you know we grab the instruments and we start playing the door bursts open these kids just start flooding in there's like the whole living room is full of kids The kitchen full of kids that kids are going wild you know and we're all looking at each other going the mag the mag this is wild we're magnets you know and we just kept playing i had like this it was like a metal rod there was a symbol on top and a cowbell and i'm like by the end of it i would smashed the symbol off it was just i was left with the cowbell i'm hitting that going crazy And then we've been (laughs) playing for ages and then we're like, all right, we're going to take a little bit of a break. And we put the instruments down, walk to the front door, open the door. There's this cop standing there, classic American cop. And he looks at us and he's like, anybody here who's underage is getting arrested and going to jail and we sort of stopped and I turned around and man there is kids splitting everywhere there's dudes diving out the kitchen window things like that we didn't realize but a lot of these cats are underage and so man there was this it was chaos and all these kids was lined up to stand there and we sort of tried to vouch for them like oh guys it's all good this and, that. and they were like we suggest you leave them like we're out of here sorry so we split and then we just carried on the night and and we just basically watched these kids just get taken downtown. We're like, "Man, shit, sorry, like, didn't know that was going to go down." So you had a
0: full band in the house.
1: Full band in the house. Everybody's having a ball. Kids this are is a massive street party. Yeah, massive street party. And then the cops, GI Joe style, just shut it down. And it was like we just managed to get out of there unscathed. And so I was rolling with these guys, and I got to the next day. And
0: so what's the highlight like on these? Not Meg on the Meg
1: yeah it's sort of it's quite euphoric it's it, it really it sort of opens things up and in a sense that your awareness as i said it's like this warm feeling almost like when you're, it's sort of like combination between yeah mdma and drinking and things like that yeah you've
0: got that warm glow going
1: that warm glow sort of going but then the next day it's like the most stoned over you've ever been It's
0: surreal. In a good way, not that way.
1: Wow. I mean, I don't really like it to be honest. Mm. You know that lethargic, groggy sort of feeling. Mm. It's like that Mm. the next day. Yeah. So, and the the boys drove the next day, and and thank God because I was just like, oh it just wasn't a pleasant feeling so I was like oh cool I'm glad I ticked that off the list but I'll probably just (laughs) steer clear of that numbeg tick (laughs) numbeg tick (laughs) one house party is good enough sweet yeah and so I said to the boys I'm like man I'm I'm gonna be real I'm having a ball like do you mind if I keep coming down to New Orleans and like absolutely would hate to see you go sort of thing so we cruise, man. And next thing you know, you know, we're in Austin. We're jumping up on stages. We're playing shows. We're um, we we finally make our way down in New Orleans, like meeting people and like, and of course, because I was just left with this cowbell, right? So I was like, all right, well, where does the cowbell normally go? It normally goes around a cow's neck. So I put this beautiful scarf from Burning Man, attached the cowbell to it, had this scarf around my neck, and next thing you know, I'm playing this. Cowbell on my belt buckle with like a drumstick. So I'm just getting, I'm just created this instrument and we're busking on the streets of New Orleans, finding gigs, going in and playing shows and just like, you know, meeting crew on the street. Like, New Orleans, you've been to New Orleans, right? No, I haven't. Man, it is a vibe.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. The, I the, imagine.
1: The amount of talented musicians there is just unbelievable you know Like, it's so has
0: music always been a part of your thing
1: um, I always play guitar I've always sort of played guitar but we was spending time with these guys that really brought it out and sort of showed me what I was capable of in that sense but always been sort of acutely aware of music yeah know, which has been fortunate so we um, we had an amazing time you know like we are just it was there and as I said this like residual energy is just flowing from Burning Man and it just really felt like doors were opening you know and um and we're there and we sort of got to this point where the some of the boys are going to go down to mexico and then i met this girl we we spent some time together and then she lived up in new york so we're like she 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 loved the way that we lived you know what we're doing and then i end up dropping off at the airport and she's like if you ever want to come to new york just like let us know i was like cool And this was on a Sunday and I think I spoke to her later that day and when she arrived she said yeah got back safe and I was like oh you know I'm like about that New York thing I was like how does Wednesday sound and she's like what and I was like yeah is it cool if come to New York on Wednesday and she's like oh let me let me sort it out you know and so we ended up a friend of mine we ended up cruising up to New York hanging out in brooklyn with her and her housemate and she just knew everything about the city you know she was studying there at the time and so we wrote this big list of the things to do in new york and we're there for a week and each day we just like peel off like five or ten of these things to do and we just hit the city you know and it was next level Mm -hmm. we um her mom ended up coming like later down the week you know and so what had actually happened was... So I was there, but I wasn't really vibing. We were sort of hooked up in, in New Orleans, but then I wasn't really vibing it. And so we got to one day, one of the morning, I cruised around with my homie, but he was acting a little bit off, you know? It was a bit strange. And you know? I was just like, oh, I'm like, what's going on, man? You know, is everything all good? And he's like, look, I've got to level with you, you know? And so long story short, those two ended up actually hooking up, you uh-huh. know? And that's cool. I was like, okay, that's fine, you know? It happens. And then I was like, well, you know, we've all had some fun or whatever. Like, you know, we'll just see, we'll see what happens. And so we got to, we all ended up meeting up at bar later that night and we were all cruising around. and She sort of said, look, you know, my and so told me that he told you. And I said, yeah, it's all good. You know, it's fine. And that's what I just made a little joke. I'm like, well, we've all, you know, since we've all hooked up and then anyway we sort of had a few more drinks and this and that and then we cruised back to the apartment but we couldn't go in the apartment because her mum was there Mm. so a couple of nights before we smoked a joint on the rooftop and on the way down the ladder i noticed there was an empty abandoned apartment so anyway we end up back up on the rooftop and it was Brooklyn and it was howling wind. So I was like, Oh guys, I'm like, there's this apartment, maybe we should see so if it's open. So I climbed down the ladder, ended up getting through the window. The window was ajar, was so I was able to open it up and get in. So I went down the door, opened, and let him in. And then next thing you know, we're all in this apartment and we all start sort of fooling around. Then we're having a bit of fun and then my buddy sort of like I don't know, he had a change of heart. He wasn't really that into it. And I was like, Okay, cool. So he ends up cruising downstairs with the girl, and they go back in the apartment. I'm like, I'm just going to chill here. I was fall asleep in front of the heater. It's fine. And so my buddy reckons he went back downstairs. Then, because her mum was in the bedroom, they went into the bathroom. They started fooling around in the shower. Her mum's Argentinian, so next thing you know, the door opens and they start speaking Spanish. The mum's basically asking like, "Is anybody in there?" She's like, "No, no, no, nobody's in here. Just by myself, just having a shower." Then. The mum comes into the bathroom. Right next to the shower was the toilet. So she sits down and starts using the toilet. Next thing you know, my buddy's like hiding behind the shower screen, like ducked down. Next thing you know, he sees his hand coming through the shower screen, trying to touch to see whether somebody's in there. And he's like crouched down in the corner, as he tells me, just thinking like, this has escalated quickly. We're like we we got to get going. So he was able to like sort of quickly get out of there. The mom left, whatever. Next morning we meet up, he's like, we got to split. I was like, okay, cool. No worries. So we ended up staying with these Puerto Rican crew downtown a little bit and sort of capped off our time in New York. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) we, and we were able to say goodbye pleasant goodbyes which is great you yeah. know don't burn bridges yeah, and then yeah, uh then we split so i ended up back in in flagstaff where i was originally meant to stay and i lived in this college town stayed in this college town for a couple months with my buddy so i made friends with a bouncer on at the aporium so he used to just let me into every live show that was there and so i was catching live music i was hanging at my buddy's bar good times we we're doing its thing and so it kept flowing and my original plan was to go do a snow season so I was going to do one in Colorado but then I had a couple homies who were up in Canada so I ended up cruising up to Canada to do this snow season and so um it was yeah it was it was funny because when I would left um a friend of mine who I met up with, who I also met in Peru. Peru was a pretty wild place. There's a lot of cool cats down there at that time. Um, and so him and I ended up having a little bit of fun and we are just doing our thing. And and so by the time I ended up leaving, somehow it ended up in my possession, a little bottle of lubricant and a Viagra. He left a Viagra behind. <laughs> Not really my thing, but it was just so he's like, you know, hold on to that. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah sweat. yeah. yeah. So anyway, I rolled into Canada, right? And like, obviously I've been through a lot of customs and things like that. And I was like, Canada will be a breeze, no sweat. So I roll through, man, I'm wearing like an endless summer t-shirt. I put on like a Ruka collared shirt and I had a Ruka hat, flat beak. I was like, you know, I was looking pretty casual. Yeah. yeah. And I rolled in and next thing I get pulled aside, I'm in customs and then I, things start to take a bit of a turn you know they're taking this very serious i was like oh wow next thing you know she's gone through my bag she pulls out my torture's bag and she pulls out this bottle of lube or whatever looks at it and i was just like okay i think that's
0: illegal
1: i think that's illegal puts it to the side pulls out this viagra and then she's looking at it and she's like what is this and i was like oh it's actually viagra and i explained it she's like we have to confiscate i was like sure go for it like (laughs) no sweat um and then she keeps going keeps on she's like all right now we're gonna swab your bag and test for any explosives i was like okay cool swabs the bag does a test bang positive for cocaine Oh, yeah, and I was like oh and so she's looking at me she's looking at the lube she's looking at the Viagra looking at the cocaine covered bag <laughs> she's like what are your intentions and I was like Dude.
0: good time <laughs>
1: <laughs> pretty obvious <laughs> but you know we're all good and she's like how long are you going to stay and I was just like oh three weeks just came up like on the spot and she's like alright and made a note she's like you have to leave on this date otherwise you know it won't be won't be good so yeah. end up flying back stayed there for three weeks flew back to cali organized a visa went in a little bit more of a respectable manner and ended up doing the snow season in canada which was incredible and which mountain it was big white actually yeah. just a Kelowna there so and unbeknownst to me man it was incredibly ignorant i didn't realize how loose snow seasons were like oh would, really had no idea, you know, because okay, yeah. I'd never even really been to the snow. I'd been to the <laughs> snow once when yeah. I was like 19. So I just I was like, oh, I swear, just roll in, just be like pretty chilled. Yeah. And it was just something else.
0: Yeah. You've done a few? Uh, no, but I was spending a fair bit of time. Yeah, up there. yeah. My brother's done a few, both my brothers have done seasons. And oh, no, I know the stories, I know that drill. So, And any time you go this, no, it's just fucking on for young and old. Well, it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It it was good. Actually, towards the end, I I slipped into a really nice slipstream where, so on that mountain, it was like Sunday and Wednesdays were the party, notorious party nights. But what I would do is I would get first chair Monday through to Thursday and like first chair ride all morning, go to this cafe, see some friends, get some krill, then go hit the park a few laps of the park, and you're in the hot tub in Navo. So Krill? I do- that?
0: Krill? Some food. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> See, what is this?
1: Yeah, so I would, um. so I do that for four days straight, and then I would party from like Thursday to Saturday. Yeah. And then on the weekends, we, some friends and I, we like built our own park. Is a friend was staying at an old Volcom house, so there was boxes and rails and things like that. So we built our whole, a whole park, and just used to session that on the weekends. And then it would come to Sunday. Sunday was the Sabbath, you know, just take it easy, just chilled every Sunday and then wake up first thing Monday morning, do it all again. So towards the end of the the season there, it was, I had a pretty dialed in, you know, it was, I was able to really push the, push my limits in terms of snowboarding, which is great. So it was, uh, it was an amazing experience.
0: Did you ever do uh, those parties where you're like, everyone meets like halfway down a run in the middle of nowhere and then you sort of traverse off into the bush and everyone has backpacks full of stuff
1: fireball and all that whatever, <laughs> whatever. yeah and party there for yeah. a few
0: hours and then everyone bombs back did you ever do those ones No,
1: nah, we did little groups but nothing mm. nothing big that sounds like fun yeah <laughs>
0: The snow is, uh, it's one of those places where you can just get away with, um, you know, it's just really just party and then usually if, in reality you wake up and it's just like uh, reality. But then when you get the snow, it's like an alter reality. It's like everyone's sort of in different clothes and you're like, check out that cat. Look what he's wearing. Yeah. You know, everyone's just like, yeah. The stoke
1: level's it's high, man. The stoke man.
0: level is high. So you can high. be over and steal still stoke level high, you know. Absolutely. And then all you got to do is get to the top and just sort of point down. Yeah. You know, that's the job. That's it. <laughs> A point two, and
1: you're good to go. It's and because it's, it's comforting as well, right? Because you're wearing all this gear, and as you said, if you're not feeling it, you can take it easy. If you are, you can go hard, you can do whatever you want. And it was, yeah, I loved it. I really, I, I feel like I've, I don't know whether I'd commit to a whole season again, but definitely, definitely keen to do some more boarding for sure.
0: It just it, blows my mind every time you go up to the snow, like um, how much you sort of forget about life. Totally. And you just take on mountain life, Yep. And you're like, woo and then when you're leaving, you're like, oh yeah, and you start thinking about all these things again. Ah, like, oh, fuck reality. Yeah, back to that. And you, but it's so good out there because you just forget. You just, yeah,
1: man. Because well, it's like it's like on a bluebird day when the sun hits fresh powder, man, it just sparkles. It's like it doesn't feel real. You know, you feel like you're in a fairy tale. It's like in Canada too. They the snow ghosts. You know how with the pines, how the snow collects on it. I mean, we'd be hitting these tree lines and it was just like surfing, you know, you just, and you're playing cat and mouse with your homie and you're just going through. And then it's just like, I don't know. I just, it felt like it wasn't real.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's,
1: it is a surreal experience and it's.
0: The speed arcs.
1: Oh man, it's crazy. I remember I went, I caught a bus out to Nelson and rode Whitewater out there and I was by myself and it's incredible riding by yourself you know you don't have to wait for anybody you're just bombing these hills and it was the first time through the trees get like proper powder moments and it's like you get to the bottom you quickly jump on you go again 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 you know and like it's cool I'd like follow some skiers and stuff because I know skiers sort of know they know what's up for sure and so it's um it's just I don't know you just I felt like I was just constantly in this fairy tale the whole time and canada's gorgeous you know the people the landscapes the serenity there's just something really special about it
0: yeah 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 canadian people are great too i mean Wonderful. people are great everywhere but like canadian people are pretty awesome
1: yeah i definitely i felt there was a natural connection between australians and canadians you know without you don't even try it's just you sort of i feel like you see eye to eye mm. straight away which is really beautiful and it a little bit less like North America. It's there's less of a facade. You know, it's it's real. You know, I mean, of course, like probably a different impression.
0: Did you ever get to Vancouver Island?
1: Nah, I didn't. Good waves though, huh?
0: I believe. I've yeah. never been either, but I've got some friends that live there that. It, I'm annoyed that I haven't been there.
1: True. I heard Newfoundland too. He's got really yeah some fun stuff. We're talking like five, four five mil gloves oh yeah know, it's, like next level
0: yeah next level yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah they, they piss and moan about like the wave quality and stuff but just the you know like the way they talk about it all sounds so sort of romantic with those big um, what do you call them spruce trees and snow lines and solitude waves and yeah, killer whales and yeah, the killer whale. Getting vibe. boats to waves and yeah, <laughs> it's sick.
1: Next level. It made me think cause especially down here on the coast, because we're always in weddies I Man, should definitely like incorporate a drying room for a weddy I don't know how you dry your weddy but you know, you don't want to get to the snow and just leave all your gear
0: in the dry room. In the yeah.
1: dry room, sort of gets pretty pretty pongy, but it's like you wake up in the morning, get all your gears dry, ready to dance. It's like, man, why don't you should do that here.
0: Well, I think in the winter I bring, bring mine and put it here, like in front of this thing.
1: Nice. That's a good call.
0: And try and have two 4.3s.
1: Yeah, that's a luxury. <laughs> yeah, I got a, the 4 3 with a hood last year. It definitely helped.
0: Yeah, I actually went up a level and got a 5 4 with a hood.
1: How do you find with the flexibility or the mobility?
0: Yeah, honestly, I thought they f- fucked up and gave me a 4 3. Oh, really it was i thought i was going to be not enjoying it it was like cheating and damn. it was super flexy damn it's like the new for me the new secret weapon <laughs>
1: <laughs> built-in hood yeah far out
0: so locked in like not a problem shit i didn't find the fle- like i couldn't notice
1: yeah well i mean let's be real like there's a lot of there's so many more variables in the winter anyway right in terms of like wave condition the cold just general fatigue it yeah. all happens a little bit quicker like you're all you're moving a bit slower in the winter anyway
0: yeah i think so but just having that like yeah, yeah i don't know I, I like i was always like i was anti hoods mm-hmm. anti you know well not booties but um i don't like them yeah but now it's just like if you're cold, colds shit just not enjoying anything when I'm cold anymore.
1: Now, why well, I figured, I mean, some cats are cool with no booties, but if your feet go numb anyway, then you might as well wear booties, right?
0: I can't, I can't. As soon as I live any little bit of sensation, I've got to go in. Yeah. You know, you start to, it's just, can't touch, feel your ball so much. It's, it's done for me.
1: I think like the hurdle of booties, especially in the early days, is when you, you're not comfortable. But I don't know. I remember when I used to hate booties because at that point in time, I wasn't, my level wasn't. Um, equipped to be able to handle, to be able to have that variable introduced, you know. But now I don't know. I feel especially down here. You surf some spots winter, feet are cold. Man, you can just scamper right over those rocks.
0: Oh, way better! Like for no the rocks. sweat. Yeah,
1: totally. Like when I'm in when I'm in Indo places like surfing reef, I I don't really wear reef booties, you know, because I always try to think to myself, well, if you can't walk on the reef gently or then you probably shouldn't be on it you know because you know how some people you watch them if you're wearing booties man they're just like stomping all over it <laughs> they are crushing the reef and it's like well if you weren't wearing booties you'd be a little bit more gentle and be more cautious but I mean I understand that it helps but I don't know I always try and carry that mentality
0: I think it's also in a wipeout if you're using your feet to yeah try and stop it from scratching the shit mm. out of your face yeah <laughs> back you just put them out as little if you've got bare feet you can't
1: yeah you know that lime is just lurking ready to go
0: Um. okay so then did you come home between here and just what was the catalyst here between when you're traveling right now are you thinking I'm finding you know are you like searching or are you just having a good time are you aware that you don't want to be a chippy are you you know are these questions and things that you're thinking about
1: totally totally I mean I used to um, I was very social um, I used to give a lot of myself to others and and probably more even to the point of like sacrifice myself for others um, even in especially Would you in- say
0: almost people pleasing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As I said, like I've always been comfortable socially, but there was heaps of times where I knew that I probably didn't need to go or I should have just stayed at home and just relaxed, rested, things like that. But instead you're like, you know, the young FOMO, things like this, you know, got to be everywhere, got to be everywhere all at once, you know? So I was like, didn't want to miss out. I was just having so much fun. So used to go sort of probably overboard in that sense. And I didn't understand how to sort of fill my cup. So surfing was very important to me, things like that. And this is why I always naturally gravitated towards the coast and things like that, and always started asking questions. But the first, so I've done four trips overseas and it's totaled five years. And it was the first couple of trips were more um, about exploration, you know, seeing how far I could go. Because I always carried this philosophy in my life that I was witnessed, to people in their 30s, I saw that it, things just naturally slow down, you know, and then obviously as a continuation in your life, things just naturally sort of pay, peter out a little bit. So my idea was travel as extensively as you can and for as long as you can within your 20s and try and really maximize that time because things are naturally going to slow down. So I sort of had like the 30s to look forward to in a different light, but I was like, let's, let's get this done, you know, let's do this. And so... I was, if, if I dreamt it, if I could vision it, then I was going to make it happen. And as I said before, like, terms of academics, not that great, but if I saw it, if I could picture myself there, then I was gone and there wasn't anything stopping me, you know? So I'd like, you know, I talked to my mom or whatever, like, mom, I'm going to Africa. And she's like, okay. You know, she got to a point where in the early days she just accepted it because, you know, there's no point trying to stop me because she knew that it was my truth. So if traveling for me was time for myself, because you know, I gave so much of my time to others and I stayed in situations I didn't want to be in. But the traveling for me was, was all for me. You know? so, and because I was comfortable in that space, you know, I think that you're either comfortable leaning into the unknown or it frightens you. For me, I've always been comfortable and I've always embraced change. I always grow from change. And so the first couple of trips were just incredible. And then basically over that 10 year period, I'd work basically a year, year and a half cycle. So I'd be somewhere in Australia for a year and a half. First year I'd enjoy where I was later half was basically knuckle down save some money and then I'd split so I'd be overseas for a year to two years and then I just repeated that on and off so I said lived in the sunny coast ended up after the state's trip moved over to Adelaide joined the band that i traveled with we did tours down the east coast it was an 11 piece gypsy band i was playing the lager and the washboard we were playing shows all between adelaide and melbourne adelaide was the most amazing city i've ever experienced i got welcomed to this network you know so i was playing this band having a hoot then i was you know working on ki still doing the chipping stuff but wasn't enjoying it it was just what i was doing it enabled me to, to provide this lifestyle so then, I ended up going overseas again, and this was a little bit around Asia. So it was like the Andaman Islands, Sri Lanka, then back to the mental wise, India, Nepal. So all these. So and that trip, I was really starting to explore outside of just a surfing realm. So I'd been very familiar with the culture of surfing and and you know the challenge of that search and exploration. So Nepal was incredibly enlightening for me just in the sense to be in the presence of the Himalayas when I was in the Andaman Islands I'd built a connection with these waves I surfed a wave by myself for a month and I remember I was out in the ocean and I just thought to myself I'm like how funny is this like we surf so many different spots that all have names like I remember more surf names than human names but um I thought how funny that these actually have names but yet we never really introduce ourselves so because i was in this moment of solitude i actually introduced myself to this wave and i spoke about my story where i was from where i'm at right now and where i was planning on going and then every day i'd cruise down and i'd say hi to the wave have a little chat I'd leave say goodbye and just build this relationship you know and so then that i did that everywhere i went after that and i remember i was in nepal and we were hiking through and so did a two-week trek it was the Manuslu trek and at the time there was this hurricane that came up over from Kashmir we were at altitude where it rained so it rained for about 36 hours straight there was people who died in landslides people got snowed in in the past it was on the news back here I believe my mum had like signed off she like thought that I was gone had to accept the fact of you know letting that go so it was pretty surreal experience and I remember Just before that happened, we were walking through this valley because basically we were following this glacier river. And we're down on this valley floor and we're walking along and sort of my buddy was up ahead and the guide. and, And I thought, oh, this is my opportunity, you know, like, so the Himalayas. And so I introduced myself, said who I was, where I was from, what I was up to. And the moment I stopped talking, this butterfly flew down in front of me, just opened its wings and then just flew away and it just reminded me I thought I'm like how many people have done this you know how many people actually they're all here from all parts of the world and then when I was were reminded once again that we're in nature you know like so many people had to turn back they couldn't make it over because the one thing that my buddy and I had was time and that's what I always try to allow with my traveling was always time because you, you got to settle into it mm. and so we were able to make it up and over the past but a lot of people have to turn back and it's just like so that's when I really started connecting the guys over in Adelaide Adelaide really opened up my eyes to you know permaculture connection like nature on a whole different level music support all these sort of avenues that you know I was just a young dude from Soros that didn't really know you know like my support was cutting loose and partying and stuff like that you know but it was obviously as you know it's a disconnection not a connection so after that trip around Asia, then I came back, it's in Adelaide, but then came back to Lawn, did another summer, then moved up to Bayern for a couple of years. And that's when it really sort of started. We had a really fun first year in Bayern, you know? <clears throat> Bayern's an incredible place and it's totally understandable why so many people gravitate towards it and spend time there. And you know, they do say that it teaches you what you need to know, it's a place of healing. Um, and the first year was just wild. It was super loose, it was super fun, playing in bands up there and stuff like that. And so did that, but i that's when I really started questioning a few things. I, I felt like I was starting to waste time, I was starting to waste opportunities. Um, I was starting to not surf as much because partying was a little bit more involved, things like this. And so, and I was also really questioning the whole carpentry thing and so I remember I was on a building site one day and there was a guy who was about 10 years my senior great guy he turns to me one day and he's just like man I fucking hate this and I was like what do you mean he's like I just I, I'm too far along I can't I can't actually go back and learn something new because I've got bills to pay I've got a I've got a you know I've got too much of a life that's been created around this That like, what am I going to do? Just go make coffees again? You know, he'd been doing this since he was sixteen, and he was really successful at it too. Whatever you define success as, in the classic sense. But that was when the like the light bulb really went off for me, and I was like, man, if I don't jump ship now, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. And so, the last half of the year, the second year I was in Byron, things were just naturally slower for me, and I really started internalizing a few things, quite a little bit more isolated from the group that I was originally hanging with and so i went off overseas and i went over to africa and so i noticed all my friends for their 30th they were all just throwing parties right parties they probably don't remember which is fair enough um and then but i wanted to cap it off in 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 a sentimental way to me and so i'd always known about this bungee jump that was in near not too far from cape town um i was actually was closer to jay bay actually and so i ended up doing that it's this bridge and i think it's regarded now as the second biggest Bridge bungee jump in the world, but it's 175 meters or something like that, and so that was me, man. That was me capping off my twenties and
0: 175 meters.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is huge. It was, it was incredible, man. It was, it was, and it was. I felt like I'd arrived too, you know, because for me that was symbolic. That was how you know twenties were pretty on the go, it was pretty full throttle, and it was like, all right, cool, let's let's jump off a bridge, you know, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's commemorate this. And so then it was great, and picked up a couple of boards in. Um, near Cape St. Francis and things like that and surfed there and then ended up cruising up to Senegal and I spent a month in Senegal and, you know, it was great surfing um, just off the, in Dakar. There's some really fun waves around there and, you know, I was eating in like a corrugated iron shack and eating rice with palm oil and shit like this, you know, sitting down with some locals, going to some really dope reggae parties and I was, I ended up cruising up to Morocco after that and so I met my, uh, I met a, a girl there we connected and it was just like this was sort of this next level, you know? And so we spent four days together and then a month apart. And I was just surfing the winter and I was doing a little bit of work because I thought to myself, I left Australia with the intentions not to return as a carpenter. And so I thought, all right, well, let's try fields that I'm comfortable with, I know a little bit about, but we'll just test the water. So I remember when I first rocked up to Morocco, I was caught up with a buddy and he was working for this surf camp and it's the biggest surf camp in morocco and i rocked up to Tagazood in like 6 a.m had a little nap and then next thing you know i think it was like 11 30 11 o'clock i was sitting in an office these two british dudes and they were like yeah man you can be the host of this villa we just need you to you know, commit to 12 months, you know, pay for this, this and that. And I'm just blown away. I'm like, whoa, I'm like, I literally haven't even been here 12 hours, you know, I haven't even been six hours. I was like, I just can't commit to that, but I'm happy to work, you know? And so they sort of saw potential. I mean, they, it was quite funny because they'd had like hundreds of applicants from generally the UK and things like this, but there, there there's this offer, like for me on the table. And I thought, Oh, I was like, well, this is a nice sign, but I'm just nowhere near ready for that. And so, they end up giving me a job in one of their original b and so i sort of got a little taste of the you know the other side of the surfing culture and, and hospitality sort of scene and so I realized i didn't really want to be a part of that that wasn't for me and i also realized i didn't want to mix business and pleasure yeah. and so i met this girl we spent a month apart and then i was originally going to go to the canary islands but i was like all right let's i want to Continue this. I want to see where this goes. She was back in California, so I was like, "Cool, I'll just come to Cali." So I flew to Cali. Next thing you know, we're cruising up and down the coast. Fuck, he's
0: getting around.
1: Yeah, yeah, we um we're cruising up and down the coast, catching waves and loving this space. She used to live over on Kauai, in Hawaii, there, and um she was like, "Maybe we can go back." There, you know? And so we ended up making the connection and I sort of said, I I really like to only go to islands if I've been invited or if I've sort of been guided to that point. That's just sort of the way I like to roll. And so this opportunity came up, this invitation came. Next thing you know, we're on a plane, we're cruising out, and we're on Kauai. Here I am on this five-acre property on the north shore like two-minute walk to this to Secret Beach, you know, Honole Bay is not too far down the road, Ben Stiller's holiday home is literally down the street, and there's this huge veggie garden, pretty much we live fully sustainably off the grid, and we're in just absolute paradise. You know, and I'm just like, wow, like how crazy is this? How do I how did, how did I end up here? You know,
0: there's been a lot of those moments in my life. I hear Kauai is like the pinnacle for that. It's the temperature, it, the waves, the food, the, the the stepping back in time vibe.
1: Stepping back in time, man. It's like it will you know Jurassic Park got filmed there, so it has that prehistoric sort of like the ferns and just the the outlay and it has this energy, you know, this incredible energy to it as well. And because it's like you look up at Honolulu from standing in the bay and it's like looking at the island version of the himalayas you know on any given day there's like there's tens of waterfalls just falling in all different directions you know after a big rain it looks like hundreds it's just
0: did you do the hike there the, uh it's this hike the hike to this waterfall and people are living in there it's like really remote it's i don't know what if you say it on will know it. i can't remember it. everyone talks about it i know
1: what you're talking about. it's in the northwest so you can't actually access it by road. Right? you can, can kayak in- around it
0: well I think you hike in it's a really long like it's a long walk in and then when you get there there's people that fully live there
1: yeah yeah. like off
0: away you know there's nothing there they're living there
1: yeah yeah I know what you're talking about but I can't remember the name yeah
0: anyway so yeah
1: but I mean it has that that magical sort of air about it you know like I mean that's where obviously Andy and Bruce Irons are from so there was like a memorial down there at the beach Um, and you know it was just it's primitive but it's it's refined, you know, it's, it's incredible. And also to the Hawaiian islands, you know, like it's especially from a surfing background, it's like, it's one of the Meccas, you know, and so you're there and, and it was surreal. And so I felt like, all right, well, how do I, how do I pay my dues here? You know, I want to, i want to give back. And so I built this five meter by six meter, Single pitch, what they call in Hawaii like a foley and so then um, my partner and I at the time we we pitched our tent underneath, and like that's where we live, you know. We like fell asleep to the stars and the warm breeze and roosters crowing at any given moment, <laughs> day or night. And I was like, "This is it! Like, how yeah, this is incredible, mm-hmm. you know." And it was interesting because at the time the guy who I was living with he was working for a cabinet maker, and so he got us a little bit of work. And then next thing you know, I'm up at 5.30 every day, but I'm to be at work at 7. I mean, spend all day in this cabinet-making factory, and then we go home. And fortunately, over the time I was there, I got to work on this beautiful 2-meter by 1.8 Um double layered teak carving it was like a balinese style and so it turns out i'm actually i i really resonated with it you know and and i was using this new um like an air compressed little rounded disc sanding disc and i was just carving it out i can show you a photo later um and i just like check on these podcasts and i just get in this carving zone you know but it even though i i so found an
0: element of creativity to it
1: complete creativity yeah. you know and i was just i was lost and I was infatuated and I that part I would I love to go to work but then the other part of me is like man I'm still essentially doing you know what I was doing before and so this restlessness restlessness sort of came over me and I just the sort of months went on and I just felt like I deviated really far from my path you know and I was in this position where I'm literally in paradise and I'm with this beautiful girl surrounded by beautiful people but i'm not happy you know and i'm questioning i was like well if you're not happy in paradise then it's like you're not gonna be happy anywhere Mm. and so for me that was like the real understanding of like turning inward and figuring out my happiness and so i realized i was like everything i'd known was a connection to this surfing culture everywhere i'd gone around the world and i realized that sort of subconsciously or metaphorically my surfboards were a little bit of a shield because it created an agenda you know if all else fails let go back to the ocean catch waves it's all good and I realized apart from a couple of little moments I hadn't really stepped into myself or outside of myself and removed that shield and so I thought I'm like I need to change up my scene and so I remember I had these three custom boards and there was like a Sunday market so I went down to the Sunday market and I sold everything. Mm-hmm. I sold all the boards. I sold everything I had. I had this one set of fins that I loved. And I was like, and I got rid of it all. Wow, man. And I watched it disappear. And then whatever cash I had, I ended up, I bought a ticket. And when I was in Senegal, I'd met a couple of Dutch cats. And I was just like, well, I'll go to Amsterdam. And I'll see what happens. So at the time, my father being Scottish, British passport, I was like, I always knew that um i wanted to maximize that opportunity um but i wasn't ready i wanted to travel other places where i could extend my money because obviously europe's pretty expensive so now was the time i'm like let's cash in on this so i flew to amsterdam and i got there and i was like i have no idea what i'm going to do but something will work out you know and so, first few weeks is just sort of settling in, going to a few festivals. You know, I arrived on the summer solstice, longest day of the year. I just travelled thirty-six hours from Kauai to get there. I was jet lagged for—I'm not even joking—a week and a half. Like there was moments of waking up at two a.m. thinking I'm never going to sleep again.
0: So let me pause you for one second. So you've gone to the hundred and seventy-five meter bungee, then you've booked back from there, Africa, back to Kauai, then you've sold up your boards and now you've jetted off to Amsterdam. Yeah. In the one swing.
1: Yeah, in the yeah. one trip. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, good,
1: yeah. yeah, all right. I mean, and once again, man, when I, I say, when I put my mind to something, I'm <laughs> yeah, gonna figure yeah. it out. So I, I really do want to be a carpenter, you know? So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so it took me a little bit of adjusting to settle into this new life. And I mean, my intention was, I really just wanted to sit around you know break bread with educated people or non-educated people it didn't really matter but just listen and hear their side of the stories you know get a different perspective on life so I knew my story I knew my version um, and so I was really sort of like finding a nice little bit of comfort there in Amsterdam you know because I do love the city fortunately having as I said the contrast growing up it was something I always resonated with and so it got to about three weeks in and my the partner of the time she ended up coming over and and I remember she was a little bit jet lagged herself, so she was up out of the bed downstairs. And I ended up having a dream that I owned a barber shop. And so this dream was bird's eye perspective. I was looking down. I could see myself in the shop and one other person. Still no idea who that was, but I was walking around and I could see it. I could see the barber shop. And I remember waking up and going downstairs and telling her. I was like, I just had this dream, this barber, this barber dream and then next thing you know it's just like the omens just appeared everywhere i'd ride i'd see barber shops. everything would start coming out there was a barber school i go talk to them and all these sort of things and then i just felt i'm like this is the combination know, this is a combination of the part of hospitality that i like the interaction but then it's a part of um well, carpentry though, like being creative, working with my hands, and it's like this fusion. And so we were across the other side. I was in, living in the east. We were across the other side of the west, and we're having a drink. And we caught up with a friend of ours that we both met in Morocco at the time. And we're having a couple of drinks. She's like, "Come down to my brother's um, clothing store. They just reno- did a renovation on the shop. Come check it out." So we cruise down there. It was the end of the day. They were closed up, but they let us in. Next thing, i'm you know, walking out the back. This like this streetwear label. It was really popular in the Netherlands and was like taking off and they'd just done this reno. And sure enough, I walk out the back and there was two barber chairs sitting out the back, newly renovated. So I just looked at my time at the time, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, is it for real? And so I went out the back, got introduced and and there was a cat from New Zealand there. Anyway, I just felt compelled to tell him this story about the dream. Mm. Next thing you know, he's like, man, this is actually my space. You know, like, if you want, come down. We'll, like, you know, see how you go. See if you like the vibe and this and that. So, I sort of – I was patiently – he's a busy cat. So, I waited a couple of weeks and reached out to him again and ended up going down and just saw how he operated things and how he did conducted his business and I just loved it. And I just – everything about it, I was like, this is me. This is what I'm going to do. And so – we arranged it was sort of like right he's like well man you know at this cost i I can teach you everything you need to know he said don't worry about the barber school to waste the time he's like we'll just i'll mentor you and we'll figure it out so i was like i was broke man i had no cash Mm -hmm. and i was like what am i going to do so one of the other this other cat i met that night too he's a videographer and so i was talking with my part of the time and then next thing you know we we're talking about homeless shelters because it it's set up that way in Amsterdam you know there's a lot of homeless shelters so I was like all right well maybe I can we'll reach out to the homeless shelters and this and that and then next thing you know I was like well how about we do a full circle I'm like how about we do a kickstarter and then we'll raise the money to be able to get the tools and the mentorship and then what I'll do is put it back into the homeless shelters so linked up with a videographer we shot this video launched on kickstarter became successful won the money and then next thing you know i'm handing it out to the right people and for the next 10 months i used to go in twice a week and cut hair at the homeless shelter
0: oh my god
1: and then we did a side project where we my buddy would come in and we would film it and we would profile people and show and change the misconception around homelessness So I was on the Dutch news. There was a media group following us and things like that. And it was funny because it was just this insane experience where the fulfillment and reward I was getting from being in the homeless shelters was then transcending into learning new crafts. And then it was just this movement was just carrying around. And I remember this one time, you know, there was generally it's more males than females in these environments. And there was this one girl and I sort of kept seeing her. I think she was from Poland or something like that. And it started becoming quite prevalent, the impact you can have on somebody by just changing something slight and some, a little bit of detail, you know, you're showing that self-care. And so I remember one day she finally got the courage to like write her name up on the board. So people would write their name up on the board. I was downstairs, one I was downstairs near the showers, the other one I was at the back in this bike workshop, <clears throat> excuse me, and so she finally got the courage to write her name up on the board she came downstairs she sat in the chair and I was looking at her we had this very little broken conversation and I could see that she was just in pain you know and so I remember I just reached down and put my hand on her shoulder and I just said just remember you're beautiful and she just looked up at me and started crying and I just held her in my arms for as long as we could you know and then she just said thank you and then walked away you know and it was one of the most touching moments my experience you know because just to have that impact just to be there for somebody else it it was it was
0: to really see someone and then in in return for that to be really be seen yep it's super powerful
1: absolutely absolutely and you know I, I hope that it gave her the strength to carry on you know because she was incredibly strong to be where she was you know she blew me away it was incredibly inspiring so to have that and then I felt like this was the true connection to what I felt my purpose was. And so it was a very contrasting time because I was seeing these individuals who ultimately through lack of support had ended up in these positions, right? And so I was at the time with my personal journey, I was starting to find that my relationship with alcohol and things like that was starting to probably go in more of a negative direction, you know? It was like the party was sort of starting to wear off, but I was still at the party. And so confronting as it was, I was looking at these guys thinking like, man, this could potentially be where I end up one day. Like, who knows? Like, if you, you know, my mind goes to some crazy places. But, um, and also too, with the experience growing up, I was like, man, I, you know, I know firsthand the damage it can it can cause. So I ended up that, well, that's um, Christmas again. I ended up going up to Scotland for the second time and it dawned on me pretty quickly that like all the males on my father's side have a problem with alcohol. Mm. Um, Their own individual journey, but it was the writing on the wall for me, you know, and at that stage I was drinking a bit and it it was in an unhealthy way um i also had a lot of fear around drinking because not only what i experienced but i was also quite militant you know so i could let my hair down on the weekend but when it got to monday it was like you know you gotta work out you gotta eat healthy you gotta do this and that because my mindset was if you drink during the week then you're an alcoholic but what it did is it created this very small window for reward or enjoyment on the weekend so i'd go too far the pendulum would swing in an unhealthy direction right And so once this was clear to me, I saw this writing on the wall. I was like, well, now you have to do something about it. Now it's up to you, you know. And maybe that's why people don't want to read what's written because now you're faced with a choice. You either ignore it or you do something about it. So I returned back to Amsterdam and I vowed to myself that I was going to take a break, you know, see what a state of abstinence, what it does for me. And so within four months, I was... I'd accomplished more in four months than what I probably did the six months to twelve months before that in a certain way, you know. And I've really honed in on my skills and things like that. And I was progressing as a hairstylist pretty quick. And I remember I said to my mentor at the time, I was like, man, because I was doing a bit of chippy work just to try and fund all this. Um and you know i was living off like 10 euro a day like that was my budget like i couldn't really stretch i was living on a boat with no power there was a lead from another boat it was the middle of winter you know i had to use like this diesel heater and stuff and it was like it was it was pretty raw but it was great um and so i remember saying to my mentor my man i need to get a job in a barber shop he's like no no just stick to carpentry you know it's better money and things like that and i was like well but i'm not going to be a become a better barber if I'm on a construction site and so I ended up shooting over to California so during that time in Amsterdam the girl I was seeing was all we together but we did a lot of long distance you know right. and so I flew over to California we spent 10 days together and I said to her I said when I get back to Amsterdam I'm getting a job in a barber shop or a salon I don't care you know I'm not stopping till I do so I got back and I remember I just walked the streets and mind you, I'd been cutting hair for six months, you know, and I would walk into barbershops and I'd be like, hey, man, is there any jobs going here? And they're like, oh, not here, but maybe try down here, this and that. And I walked into this other barbershop and, and the guy's like, oh, I'll leave you details. Didn't really hear from him for a week, so I reached out again. He's like, come down, we'll have a little chat. Went down to this barbershop and he's like, oh, you're probably not suited here, but wait till you meet my brother. He's got like this this salon. You're probably better suited there. So I met his brother, and his brother was part owner of this barbershop anyway, but we just instantly clicked, you know? He took me down to his salon, and this incredibly alternative space, where you walk upstairs, there was this long concrete table, hair salon with no mirrors. So like, the clients sit either side of the table, the stylist behind them doing their thing. There's a mirror over in the corner that you do the consultation with in there, but then you take them back to the, the table and everybody chats. It's like we're chatting now, you know? So it really broke down these these barriers, you know? And so I was I got welcomed into this world and it was funny. So he, he was like, all right, well- I,
0: I think I'd like that. I fucking hate staring at myself for an hour in the mirror, you know? I was just like, oh God.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the only trouble. I wish I didn't have a mirror, but for- for no,
0: doing, no, I get it. For doing phase, yeah, it yeah, definitely no, helps. It. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> imagine trying <laughs> to explain that to Australian crew. Yeah, no, this is different. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. Right? Like, it, it seems yeah. normal
1: in Europe, but it's, uh, yeah, pretty far out here. Um, and so this cat, Donnie, he was like, all right, grab a couple of models, girl and a guy, bring them down, do the cuts, and we'll, we'll go from there. So, I, this is the third haircut I'd ever done on a girl, ever and so i sort of knew the fundamentals and i thought all right let's do this and i remember they got him i'd organized them through with friends of friends never met him didn't even know what the hair looked like the guy had this he'd like done a home job so he had this gnarly line through here and he, he was quite a quirky character so he wanted a pretty eccentric and i had to even say to him like hey homie can we just tone this down a little bit and now like next cut i'll do whatever you want but i just got to sort of show this cat i can you know can cut and um and so I cut his hair first, took a little little long or whatever, and then the girl came in. And actually, just before I started cutting, I remember I was like, well, there was about six stylists within this space. And I said to myself, I'm like, well, they're going to be staring at you anyway, so you might as well put on a show. So I remember I just grabbed this headband and just tied this headband on, looking, <laughs> looking like this, <laughs> this surfer from Australia, like out of nowhere. And I cut this dude's hair, then I cut this girl's hair, and... It was funny, man. I was just, I've just felt comfortable, you know? And and then afterwards, Tony was like, there were good cuts. He's like, they're probably not at the standard that we would do here. Going and you took a little bit too long, but, you know, good job nonetheless, you know? And so then later on, he's like, look, and you've you've got the job, you know, You, you can work here. And so I was blown away. And I thought to myself, I was like, I'm like, I didn't expect this. Even though I manifested, I didn't expect it. And so I just said to my partner at the time that, I'd agreed to move back to California. And so I only really had two months left. So I went home that night and ended up going back in the next day and spoke to Donnie. I said, Man, I've got to be real. Like, I didn't know that this was gonna become available. So I'll just let you know that I'm actually leaving in two months. And from then on, just because of that respect, because I was honest with him, he's like thank you for telling me and he's like it's not up to me now I, I'm still happy for you to be here but it's up to the other guys because they're going to become attached and it's like then they'll have to say goodbye so we ran it by them they were all cool with it and I got this job and so I was there and I learned how to cut women's hair and I learned so much more and I was still getting mentored at the barbershop and I was cutting two days a week in the in the homeless shelters and it was just this insane I was dirt broke and it was just in living on a boat insane experience and then The two months were up and I was like, okay. And there was an opportunity there where Donnie said, if you give me, I'll teach you whatever you need to know in six months and if you give me an extra six months, we're even. And it was the offer of a lifetime, you know, And but because I'd committed to California, I had to stay true to that and I wanted to work on the relationship and and really give it a shot, you know. Long distance is pretty hard.
0: It's draining.
1: It's real draining. And so I flew over to Cali. Then oh, we went. I went to Bali, caught up with a friend for a wedding, flew to Cali, and actually ended up um, we we got married, you know. And no
0: like, shit, you got married?
1: Yeah, we got married. Yeah, and so I was ready to commit on this highest level, you know, and because I wanted to step into this new space, you know, I really wanted to work and I really wanted to create a solid foundation and. So we agreed. We were like let's let's do this. You know, it'd be beautiful. So we're in Sedona. Had a gorgeous ceremony. Her dad became was a celibate. Um, He married us. We had the same little private ceremony. and It was gorgeous. And then I was in Cali. And then so I was there, and things just didn't go really well. You know, it was like I I felt incredibly lost. Once again, I felt like I deviated from my path um america as you know is a beautiful place it's quite surreal but i felt pretty disconnected there um it's not my style of communication especially in vulnerable times and so i was yeah i was in pretty bad shape you know what would probably be considered meant to be the most joyous time like it was quite the contrary so um there was a couple moments of drinking and it started to like play into the relationship but more importantly like it started to really affect me because of what I was doing so I was so confused because I was like why am I doing the things that used to be done to me and I know how much it hurts so I was so confused I was like how do you end up like this you know and because I'm an inquisitive person I was just like i got to get to the bottom of this so there was this group and it was like adult children of alcoholic you know there's AANA, ACA so I started attending these to try and find a little bit more clarity but then I was I found myself it was comforting because I was in a room with people who would experience similar things you know and I was like okay cool that's that's nice to know but as time went on I realized I'm like well it's one thing to be comforted because of similar experiences with others but the reality is it's like you've got to walk this path alone you know if it's something that's not resonating with you then you have to work on it yourself i can't blame my old man for the choices i'm making now you know and so the relationship sort of went south you know there was a lot of things going on unfortunately in that relationship we both triggered each other a lot um she had her stuff i had my stuff and it was hard to meet in the middle but it um it just showed i was just like i realized like i needed to go work on myself you know and i I couldn't work over there because you need a barber's license and things like this and i didn't want to do a green card because i didn't know i wasn't comfortable with where i was at and i didn't want to ever lead anybody on or anything like that and so i ended up leaving and i went home and it was really hard decision um but i felt that like if i didn't things would have gotten much worse you know and the last couple of months i was there i didn't drink anyway you know because i from my, my points of abstinence i realized how strong i was when i didn't drink so i for me i was smart enough to know like get rid of it focus and see what happens so i got home i got back to melbourne next thing you know i'm like 31 years old living with my mum, and i'm like riding her pushy to the station down in seaford to like catch the train an hour and a half to go to this to a shop and work and man, I just took it upon myself. I'm like, it's time to to go in, you know. So I reached out to professionals, <clears throat> like life coaches, psychologists. One lady spoke to a criminal psychologist who was like, "Yeah, don't drink beer, just drink wine." Like, and I was <laughs> like, "All right, well, I don't think this is going to work." But and um, and then I was I was on the train every morning. I took it upon myself to just read. You know, I read this really beautiful book. It was like The Road Less Travelled by Scott Peck and just opened up my eyes. And I would just. I really harness this time as it wasn't low because i was con- reconnecting with my mum, and I, she was incredible support um but it was challenging you know when accomplished a lot in my life and what felt like i'd followed my truths and dreams to be back there was you know it was a reality check but it's what needed to happen and so i ended up moving out to footscray did this three months where I rode the rails for like three hours a day and because I was learning heaps in this barbershop and I was I was just, I was soaking it up like a sponge, you know, because my quest was still to open a barbershop and so I ended up moving out to Footscray and funnily enough, I ended up living with my mentor, this Kiwi cat, like out in Footscray, like he ended up back to Melbourne and stuff like that. He'd broken up with his partner and so we connected and we had a a really beautiful relationship. From Amsterdam? From Amsterdam, yeah. So I'm like, here I am in Melbourne cutting in Footscray next to my mentor, like all this stuff going on and I'm like going through a divorce essentially and trying to work on myself and I was like, wow, like, you know, this is a a wild time (laughs) in life.
0: And so... That would have been somewhat making you feel like you're in the right place
1: yeah definitely definitely and still and this is where see i didn't realize but talking to professionals and especially this one lady really opened up my eyes to sort of the love you know there's like different love uh relationship styles love languages the love languages excuse Mm -hmm. me yeah and so she said to me that especially with alcoholic parents there is a tendency to feel pain when you're close to somebody and you feel the love when you're at a distance so I always struggled in relationships because as soon as I got close to somebody I felt that pain and so for me that's why as hard as long distance was it was actually more comforting because I didn't have to be in that vulnerable space so it was like this flip and of course I didn't know anything about this and so I was like why do I feel the way I do in relationships it's not really fair I see everybody else who's you know beautifully connected and so through talking to the professionals, these, this clarity started coming. And then I remember I actually went up to Byron just to go see some friends. And I came back and I was there for about four days, didn't drink the whole time, but then drank at the end and then partied. And then that... What,
0: what, what was your... Uh, what was what let the wolf in the door? What was like, uh, you're yeah, like, all right, tonight.
1: Yeah, it was old friends, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, old yeah, friends. Yeah. And yeah. because it's yeah it, it was an old pattern yeah. you know and so and, and it's, it's easy because it's like when you buy yourself in solitude it's, it's not that hard but when you're in temptation come on man yeah exactly and then the funny part is it's like i'd probably find it's pretty rare for people to actually be the one saying come on it's just your mind right it's just you wanting to please others or not let other people down, things like that, whatever you're- Still
0: wanna fit in, i still, still got in, it.
1: Still got it, like, yep. you know, and cause the beautiful part about my drinking experience was I was never rude. I was never violent, I was never anything, you know, like I was, I loved it. Like yeah, I yeah, just love to dance, like love mm. to party. And so that part was probably the biggest challenge for me because there was this social identity around drinking that wasn't negative. Um, that I had to learn to let go of and because you're sort of faced with this reality it's like well if this is heading in a direction that is potentially unhealthy then it's like you're ultimately going to be back at this same spot whether it's one year two years five years ten years so why don't you save yourself 10 years and just bite the bullet and, and remove it you know and so I was spending a lot of time on my own, a lot of points of reflection. Ended up a guy I was working with, he was doing the AA program. And so I got to a point where after this trip to Byron, I came back and I ended up drinking for a few days. And, you know, I sort of went up, fell off the wagon. And I remember I woke up and like I was at the back and this car door shut and the street slammed. It scared me, you know, I got a fright. And I was just like, man, there's no way to live, you know, like I can't. I was like, I was a bit bit jumpy, man. I was a bit (laughs) jumpy and I was like, I was was just a a shell of who I was and I knew I wasn't living up to my truth, you know, and especially because this pact that I made myself to myself when I was younger, you know, I was like, and so I reached out to my friend. I said, hey, man, do you mind if I come down to one of these AA meetings, you know? And so I went down there and I started sitting in on these meetings like every Friday and, you know, I had to <clears throat> create this adjustment because with the program, it's like there's a lot of people who go to rock bottom and then they enter the program. For me, I hadn't felt like I was there yet, you know, but I was trying to show initiative for myself. And I was trying to step in early. And I was trying to leave my ego and my pride at the door. And I was trying to move on with the way that I knew how, right?
0: But it sounds like you hit a spiritual rock bottom
1: yeah absolutely absolutely because it was the awareness you know it's like it's almost like that out-of-body experience when you see yourself and you're like this is not what I want to see you know this is not who I want to be and so I remember I probably attended I went there for about a month or so and I went into another Friday night meeting in Footscray and I was standing there and I was pretty reserved you know you share and things like that and in those spaces those rooms are beautiful you know they're so raw they're so honest and it People are so vulnerable to in front of complete strangers, and allowed a lot of strength to come into my life and in that space. And I remember there was a guy, and and you could sort of tell we were on the same frequency. And he came over, and he's like started chatting, and next thing you know, he's like, "Do you have a sponsor?" And I was like, "No, I don't have a sponsor." And he quickly gave me a little rundown of his experience, and he's like. So 18 years ago, I did this and this. And then he said that when I got a sponsor, we smashed it out. You know, there was about a month where we just got it done. And I said, brother, you speak my language. Like, let's do this. So next thing you know, I met up with him. A week later, we're in the Point Cook McDonald's car park. Mm. I'm writing out, like, all the things that I'd done wrong through my drinking experience that I needed to make amends for. I'm like, we're in this car. I'm telling him all this stuff. And I even said to him, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, this isn't that juicy, you know? Like, I really didn't call. I didn't leave a trail of destruction.
0: Mm-hmm. And I haven't escaped from jail.
1: I have escaped from jail. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, you know, I, I partied responsibly. I did all that sort of stuff. I had a good time. But, you know... Fortunately, when I was younger, like a lot of good morals and values were instilled within me because, you know, it's like, I mean, my, my old man was like, you know, push the limits, but don't let the cops drop you off here because it's not the cops you should be worried about, it's me, you know, like and this is like that old school approach, right? But it's but he's like, but go have fun. We're you know, we all have fun, you know? And so it was funny because when I'm telling him all this stuff and we're in this car park of Maccas, I was like, cool. And then I wrote down all the people I want to make amends to. And there was a, there was a girls out there who I'd connected with, but I'd obviously been distant because of this this pattern I was showing. So it got to this week and I remember I was in my room in Footscray and I just reached out to everybody who I needed to reach out to, you know, and I sent a text message to make sure I could call and then I called and then a little quick chat and then I explained what I was doing and I said I was here to make an amends amends, and I'm sorry and and um, that was probably one of the most alleviating, refreshing weeks of my life, you know, because you're able to really clear the skeletons out of your closet and start fresh and then from there on out it was like life just became a movie you know like I was seeing things in HD I was like wow it was like things felt different they smelled different they sounded different you know it was like I'd I'd almost purged all this negativity from that experience and I was ready to move forward in this clean way you know and so I ended up from Footscray I ended up moving I was going to head back up towards Byron because I wanted to open up the shop and I cruised down the lawn and ended up going for a surf I just took the log out of the point <clears throat> and um, saw a couple of friends <clears throat> excuse me and um i was going to get back on the chippy tools just to get a little bit of extra cash before i cruise up the coast and so i met a buddy and he's like yeah man i've got a place for you to stay i'll introduce you to this builder this and that it's like cool and then i went down to see another friend and i saw his office next to there was this space was available and i was like man you know things come in threes this could actually be where i'm meant to set up you know so ended up putting in an application for the lease ended up getting the lease and then worked as a chippy and i had to work like four months as a chippy before i whilst i was doing the fit out for this shop and it was funny man because you know you obviously meet a lot of characters in industry but it was like there was two characters on like site managers on these jobs that were like probably some of the most confronting and dudes i had to work with you know just energetically and it was funny, man, because it's like, you know, you've got to go a couple of steps back to go forward. And so every day I'd get out of my car and I'd walk onto this side and I'd just be like far out, like I can't do this, but i got to, you know, I've just got to keep going. And I worked for like four months straight, you know, I think I had three days off in four months, you know, I was organizing things, buying stuff for the shop and I was in there till like 10 o'clock most nights fitting it out. And I'd done a lot of shop fit outs and bar and cafe fit outs when I was in Bayern. That was like the highlight of my chippy career. 'Cause I was in the zone, I really loved it. And so finally got to this space and then I was like, All right, cool, now I can open up the shop, you know? And so I'd gone four months without cutting really. And now I'm like, I've got
0: to So you get to you're opening your own.
1: I'm opening up my own Yeah, bar okay, shop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and then had the opening day, people came through, and it was like it was almost like everything I'd done up until that moment in terms of building was irrelevant because now I had to I had to prove that I was capable of achieving this. And so I worked the summer, and it was a great reception. Everybody came through and loved it, and things like that. Then next thing you know, <clears throat> we roll in, and COVID rolls into town, right? A- that old chestnut. So <clears throat> so I was in, I was living in Lawn. And then the Family Shack's an Aries, so I was like, b- before COVID was anything, uh, my intention was, I'm like, I'm gonna move into the Family Shack, I'm gonna do a reno on it, because it got the original one got burnt down in Ash Wednesday. So uh, nothing had changed since 80 th- 85, um, when it was built. And so I was like, I'll go give it some love, you know? So I moved in, <clears throat> COVID pretty much struck the month that I moved in. And next thing you know, I'm just like fully submerged in this reno. And so over the next two years, I like completely renovated the family home from from basically a shell to what it is now whilst running a business, setting up this space and really just spending more time alone than ever before, you know, like going inward and trying to figure out where I'm at, what I'm at, what I've been doing, you know. And so this point of introspection for an extended period of time really resonated with me you know really left a hallmark and and i started i've started to grow outside of my environment you know the callings different ideas purposes stuff starting to come to me and also to attraction you know i'm starting to attract different people because what used to fill my cup doesn't anymore and what does now attracts different people hmm. so i'm sort of like working on how i can work outside of myself and you know i um <clears throat> i went and did an ayahuasca retreat And that, for me, was life-changing, you know?
0: Do you want want a glass of water? Yeah. Can I crack this? Yeah, go
1: for it. Yeah. So, I'd never...
0: When I was... So, uh, hold on. The Ayahuasca retreat, did... How did this... When did this perk? Where did this...
1: So, I'd I'd known about it since I was... Since 2010 when I was in um, South America. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But... I knew that at that point in my life, I was purely, uh, I was partying recreationally, you know? It wasn't spiritually, it wasn't wasn't on that format, you know? (laughs) Partying
0: spiritually, dude. (laughs) Yeah,
1: you know, like, it's like different forms of like alignment, let's say. (laughs) And so I'd known about it for a long time, but I didn't really know too much about it. And then my best friend came to visit after he attended one of these retreats. So I got the firsthand candid download of his experience, and it was just beautiful to sit with that and to hear how it resonated with him. And so, automatically, straight away, I just felt like this is this is it. It's time, you know. So I won't explain where it is or what happens. But
0: no, just- you don't say anything. But um, no, I'll do. I just so you were. F- the lessons that your friend had learnt within, from the plant medicine, let's say. Absolutely. um, He had told you the the deeper understanding he felt towards the connections of life, his place in it, the lineage of ancestry, all that kind of like the connection to things that we don't perceive to be part of us but are around us every day. These are the sort of things you're saying?
1: Definitely, absolutely, yeah. and it's and also too the breakdown of as you said like constructs right like the ideas that we have within the society that don't serve you or you don't serve it so it's like to have a blueprint and understanding and sometimes it's interesting because everybody experiences different and also too through the medicine it shows you what needs to be shown at that point in time so talking to people who have been working with the medicine for decades they will themselves say that every time they have it it's a different experience so you're
0: getting different messages
1: you're getting different messages and it's like the key to it all has been open to receive and so i mean through thousands of years through ceremony people gain this knowledge of understanding not only of themselves but whether it be spirit high powers things like that surroundings connections to nature things like that right because we this whole planet this universe is a giant energy field right we're working on
0: frequencies well it's funny you were saying something earlier and i was about things affecting things and i you know like I was thinking, well, yeah, and here on Earth, there are storms in the solar system that then in turn have an effect on things here on Earth, but we don't really give kudos to anything that happens outside our little uh, ozone layer. Right? You know? It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I was saying, yeah. So, anyway, so. Hold on. Billy, shut up! <laughs> Sorry. Um, so to, to, let's walk through this, so.
1: Yeah, so it was, um, it was exactly that. I feel, I felt that the timing was right, the heart was open, the mind was ready. And so I had reached out, the ceremony, I, I'd been accepted to attend.
0: Is it a, a two-day thing? Uh,
1: it was three days. Three days, yeah. Yep, it was three days, and so. How exciting. It was, it was incredible, you know. And it, it's, it's nice, like any position in life when you're ready, you know when you know that you're truly ready it's it's like stepping you step it's like the rise of the phoenix and you step into it you like you know and to be to welcome messages to be able to to be open to receive it um it's powerful you know because i've worked out that you know it's fear that separates us as human beings and what i've realized is that oh
0: can i stop you right there man that's kurtz at the end of apocalypse now He's isn't quite, it? that just stood out to me the last time I watched it was, it's fear that defeats us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right? And separates us. And it's, isn't it interesting that we, we exert probably twice as much energy trying to run from our fears than turning to face it? Because the reality of the release is going to create more refuge than constantly running. You know, and it's amazing what the subconscious holds on to, you know, like even back in yeah. the day to say, I don't want to be a victim. That's great. That's, you know, that was empowering. I leveraged off that. I traveled the world, but I, my shadow was still following me, mm-hmm. you know, like what, it, what I experienced was traumatic and that's fine, but it's like, you have to acknowledge it, you know, like by turning and acknowledging that it happened means you can clear it out and close it. You know, but if you don't acknowledge that something doesn't happen or didn't happen, then how are you ever going to uh, be able to categorise and let it go? You know, so it's like we spend so much time running from it, mm. so much energy, and it's like, but by turning and facing it, it means that you can actually you can give yourself the power to say goodbye you know, and let it go. And it's for me that was it became clear because. Through the ceremony, the first ceremony.
0: So hold on, was it a Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing, or what was it?
1: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Friday, yeah. Friday ceremony starts at six thirty. Wear
0: white. So it's kind of hand up. Um, you arrive, and do they show you where you'll be staying and stuff like that? Exactly. So yeah.
1: I, I chose to arrive a bit earlier, help set up things yeah. like that, get um, get to know some people. Yeah. And so then you set up, and the space that was was the facilitation was held was a big room. The shaman himself is an incredible musician on on so many instruments, right? Like he's a wizard. And so he had about 30 singing bowls set up in a U-shape, didgeridoos, Chinese harps, blocks, chimes, you name it guitars and so
0: This was almost like an ayahuasca concert
1: it was it really was it was incredible <laughs> and so you I, I took the mattress out of my swag and everybody brought their own mattress and so on the right hand side of the room were all the males and that sort of crossed over into the middle, and then down the left-hand side were all the females. And so sort of energeti- energetically, it was nice to be comforted in that space. You know, the masculine feminine it's nice um, to be sort of comfortable in that. And so... The ceremony commences, and basically, what happens is you take an in turns, you go up to the shaman, and he blows this. Uh, it's a little pipe, and he blows this harp, what's called harpe. It's like this tobacco, ground down tobacco, and a few other herbs and spices, and he blows it up each nostril. His own? He, no no yours yours yeah so everybody who's attending so basically what that does is it grounds you it brings you back it's not a pleasant experience but it completely brings you into the moment right and you have to sit through it people hand you a bucket as you just before you do this so you return back to your mattress and you and you work through it the way that you know and so once that sort of subsides then it's time to receive the medicine and throughout the ceremony you have three there's three offers of the ayahuasca.
0: In the one night?
1: In the one night, yeah. So about a hundred mil per time. So you cruise up and we started, that first night was with the feminine first. So everybody went up. So I was up the front in the corner. So I was literally the last person to go up. But then the following night I was reversed. So went up, received the cup, drank it, went back to the mattress. Nothing really happened. So I was sort of sitting there. And of course, like party experiences, you know, you're trying to limit any expectation that are in your mind and just try and clear and be open to receive. But nothing happened. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Second time around, went up, took the offering.
0: This is an hour later? About
1: an hour later, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, so the shaman, this particular ceremony was the shaman would give the offering. Once he was, everybody had some, he went up and he played music, sung. He, in, he used to be... Um, uh, an opera singer as well. So he, he was just phenomenal, incredible human being on all levels. And so he would play the music. And so he'd roughly play for about an hour, an hour and a half. Then he would finish, put some other music on, and he'd present another offering. So went up, had a second cup.
0: So you were first in line this one?
1: No, no. So it's the same. That was the
0: same till the next day. Yeah.
1: yeah so yeah. basically, like, it's, it's completely up to you. So the first offering, it's, then on out, it's completely up to you. Some people have one, some people have three, two, whatever it is, whatever you're feeling, you know, because you the medicine will always show you. Mm -hmm. So when had the second offering and then felt like there was this sort of psychedelic dance you know it was like mother ayahuasca was there on what felt like there was a playground fence in between us and she was sort of like reaching her hands out it was like his character and i was excited you know we were like we're about to connect and this and that but we never actually got that close it was like so close yet so far and so when I went up for the third offering he, he asked how you doing so what he does is he assesses your pupils your eyes your iris and just make sure that everything okay of course he's never going to give any more than he thinks you don't need mm. and so he said how's everything going I said great I said but you know we're close we're dancing with each other but it's not quite there yet had the third and basically what I thought would then extend it just sort of grounded me a little bit more but it rolled into this space of gratitude and so the people that i was really grateful for in my life came up and also myself and the reflection of the work that i've done not only externally but internally and just just overall gratitude so after the ceremony their soup on offer and everybody sort of sits around and during the ceremony nobody talks you know you've got to be really respectful of people's space and their journey so then afterwards we all sorry
0: can I interject yeah um, were you looking at other people when you before you were having um, any kind of when you were a bit more lucid and you were looking at other crew were you seeing other crew like you could tell that they were on a, some sort of mystery mm. tour yeah <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and it's, it's beautiful too because obviously in that space right? you know what you're going through and it's very internal so there's absolutely no judgment but it's it's surreal because over the weekend because you are sharing so much mainly physically and you know people are purging in front of each other and crying things like this it just creates this incredibly sacred space and so your witness because your curiosity wants to know what they're going through but it's very he's it also very grounding so it always returns back to you so you you have like you have awareness of your surroundings but you're not trying to um you're not trying to analyze it yeah basically yeah so then afterwards we had the soup and i was feeling a little bit more chatty so i was able to sort of you know to sort of indulge and talk about the experience and the next day it was you're free to do whatever you like it was a bit rainy a bit cold so i just ended up napping a couple of times and generally because like people are living their life and then they do these retreats you know the friday night's generally a bit of a clear out Mm. you know people busy lives so then it rolled into the saturday same process here we are how many crew it was like 35 Mm -hmm. something like that which sounds like a lot but then in a group facilitation especially when you're working through sort of emotional baggage it's like it's amazing it's nice that there's so many people from all different walks of life different cultures and who are there to go inward you know to really search and so that was empowering in itself and so the second ceremony comes around it was now my time to go first and i had it same again Nothing, like nothing, on the first one. So I was like, okay. Then went back up, and by this stage, like I had a couple little candid chats with the shaman, and so he sort of turns out that he was a carpenter back in the day, and so we we connected, and so he sort of knew that I was comfortable in the space and that I was what I, my intentions are being there. And so this second time around, by from talking to somebody who works with the crew, he he reminded me that you can set intentions like stepping into it, even though I was, you know, I wanted to be completely open. My intention on the second night was to see my shadow, you know, Mm -hmm. and if possible to be shown. And so, um, I went up, had the second cup.
0: It's a strong intention.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why I was there, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's been a lot of joy in my life too, and a lot of sadness, but it's, um, but mainly, you know, unfortunately, man, a lot of joy, you know, so I will, I wanted to see what I needed to remove. Mm. You know, that's why I was there. And so I had this second cup and then I went and sat back down. I was laying on mattress and it just opened up, man. It was like this rainbow kaleidoscope world with this like Balinese god character just coming in and out dancing it was vibrating as well as it was moving it was like eyes closed or clo- or eyes open it was it didn't matter it was just on I remember just lying back I had the biggest grin in my face and it was like a show you know I just got to sit back and enjoy and I was lying down and then I felt a little bit squirmish so I was like okay I'm going to sit up and I've never really been one to sort of purge by throwing up, you know, even when I drank and stuff. And so my one thing was going to was like, if that came up, I wanted to be comfortable with it, even though I was unfamiliar with it. So I sort of tried a couple of times, nothing really worked. And then I lay back down. And then I started. Still,
0: was the dude still? still Yeah. Oh man, like I did.
1: I'm looking into this bucket, and it's full of rainbows. Right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The bucket's moving. Everything's going on. It's like its own little kaleidoscope, and it was. But at that point, it just wasn't meant to be. So what I did is I lay back down, and then, I started feeling emotional. You know, I started, and soft sort of tears started coming, and, and I was like, okay, and then it just turned on, and it was like this feeling of these tears of like deep trauma started coming up you know and it was all a reflection of the experience I had with my old man you know and I realized that I'd taken it on but I'd never let it go because I didn't know what to do I was a kid you know and so it was like I was convulsing and like I was convulsing of tears I was not everywhere I was just like and in the moment I was just I was, in, I was in pain. I was in emotional pain, but I was so thankful, man, because it literally felt like I was clearing it out, you know. And it was the acknowledgement. It was like it wasn't a sadness where I felt sad for myself. It was just sad, that the, the emotional pain that I'd been carrying around. And so to be able to remove that, to be able to purge that, man, I was just like covered. And I had my grandfather's blanket, and i was just like i was covered i was so alone and i was scared but i was just like releasing you know and it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life you know because it was like okay to do that
0: did you really have your grandfather's blanket or yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah yep. i was just seeing if that was made part of the
1: yeah he no, the, yeah. my grandparents it was always like in the house at aries they oh, it was, was always on their bed with you
0: know? the mattress
1: Yeah, 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 it was always in there. So I took it, it's like, it's
0: beautiful. Okay, yeah, yeah, Yeah. okay, good, (laughs) good.
1: So I was, you know, I was, I knew that I was supported, you know, I knew I was comfortable and things like that and, and, but I was, I was releasing it, you know, and so I was so appreciative that it was actually happening and it was, you know, just when he thought it was over, there was more, you know, and you could just tell that it was working and and it was just like, as I said, man, it was just to see it the way that it was, it was, it was incredible. You know, like it's amazing. They say that the ayahuasca can do the work of five to ten years psychotherapy in one session you know because it works for you and so, so I finally sort of came to and you know because I, I I never showed that side of myself to anybody you know like I didn't you know I felt ashamed to cry at my grandmother's funeral you know things like that I mean I'm sure a lot of men feel that way but for me it was just like and that's why I struggled in relationships because I couldn't show that side of myself and so to be in this space and to let it go felt very empowering but then and then it eventually sort of wore off and and then I ended up I was in two minds on whether or not to have a third cup, and I was like, "Well, I've come this far, and and I'm, as I said, I'm very appreciative of this, so I think I want to make the most of it." And I was prepared to do it. And you can also say gentle, you know, like it's mm. okay. You just want a little one. I remember going up to the shaman, and obviously my face was pretty, uh, pretty exhausted from crying <laughs> so much. And I remember the Shaman looked at me and he's like, How you doing? And I just said, Amazing, you know, and he's just like, Yeah, that's it. Like, you're doing great. And he gave me another cup and I went back and everything was sort of washed off by this stage. You know, it didn't really hit the way that I thought it might. But I was just able to reflect on it once again and just hold that space for myself. And and then um once again it was it was all over the, the ceremony had finished. And this time I was really quite internal. So I didn't really talk to anybody. I just say, you know the amount of soup I needed and just went to bed you know and then the next day you have a same oh yep
0: the third third offering it wasn't as not so grand as the second
1: Nah, nah. so yeah. uh, for my experience it felt like the second was really the apex yeah. you know because I guess if you're it's like a bell curve right, right yeah so the third was good it sort of just mellows you out and things mm-hmm. like that and so the next day we ate this soup on that night and then the next day you don't eat. You have you fast until the evening and you take the San Pedro cactus. So same thing. It's a
0: different type of ayahuasca?
1: Yeah, well, it's a different type of hallucinate. So it's from the San Pedro cactus. So I believe it's like the peyote. So it basically... Is that uh, what
0: they have in um, Natural Born Kills when he's got the snakes and shit around him everywhere? Is that... Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, because the ayahuasca connects with the grandmother or like mother ayahuasca and the San Pedro connects with grandfather so two completely different spiritual energies that come into your body and work in completely different ways similar sort of crossovers but different so The way that the San Pedro works is like similar to an MDMA again, like where it's like this, they say it's like very heart opening. So it opens you up, it has that warm, fuzzy sort of feeling, but still, same thing. It's working through the trauma, right? And so we all took an offering. And this time we rearranged the room. So it was all the mattresses around, but they were all mixed up. So you could be sitting next to anybody. And so we took the offering, which is in liquid form. We all walked around the grounds, picked up all little bush debris, little flowers and things like that for a mandala we made later. We came back to the space, had another offering. And then there was a, um, a, a sound healing. Mm. And so in this space, again, it was it was it was really emotional and for me like it brought up a lot for for my mum because during that time it was she was my protector you know like even though as like all parents are just doing the best they know how you know for me this was like I felt it was like I felt the pain that she went through you know I could really feel it and I I was able to see the sacrifices and what she did for me to protect me in that moment you know so It was, I was releasing a lot for that, you know. And then later in the day, that then flipped into gratitude also for my mother, you know. So for who, what she's done for me, because I wouldn't be where I'm at without her, you know, and our connection, we're very similar. And so to have that full circle, you know, really created this foundation for me emotionally because I was able to not only release, but also to see it for who it was and the power and the strength and the struggles, through that experience. And so I was it was a very it was a very emotional day for me and then when we came back in and then we did this mandala and we take it. Yep.
0: the first two were at night and this one's day.
1: Yeah, first two at night. This one is all during the day. Yeah. And so There was, so everybody's on their own journey, right? Once again, because it was a long day, not only because of the medicine, but also too, because of not eating, and then also too, because you don't talk to anybody really Mm. during the day. Mm. So then- Do
0: they actually call it like a thing like noble silence, where you're not supposed to look at people in the eye and try and acknowledge people just, state yourself
1: definitely yeah. definitely, and you, you're quite internal anyway because of what you're experiencing so you sort of feel that you know that or you don't want to be disrupted so you know that you're not going to disrupt somebody else mm-hmm. so it's very it's reciprocal in that sense and so it would, but it's interesting man because like this experience um halfway through the day the shaman offers what's called rapé. so you've got a hape you've got rapé. similar exact same process completely different concoction and so what the rapé does is it actually releases the trauma so it, it helps you purge so i was sitting there watching this line and watching each individual have this rapé and then literally go from pretty much sitting down to like lying down and purging into a bucket this and that I'm sort of scratching my head thinking I'm I'm actually pretty good like you know I've been crying a lot but I feel pretty good and so I chose not to have it and it was funny man because people like strewn across the grounds like really like getting through this you know and I was like I thought to myself just as a joke I was like man if anybody walked in right now (laughs) and saw this going down it would be like unfathomable like
0: Brian Jones down
1: straight up like almost like everybody's drunk the Kool-Aid Yeah, it's just like it's loose man it's so loose and so that eventually wears off and you come back in, we make this mandala, everybody picks up this mandala, it's on a bed sheet, and then we take it outside, and everybody grabs a little piece of it and then you scatter it back into nature and you say what you're grateful for. And that's when that moment of deep gratitude for my mum came up and and so this is towards the end of the day, man. It's starting to get dark by this stage. <clears throat> A lot of tears have been shed. And we cruise back inside. And then they're like, all right, cool. Now we're going to do some eye gazing. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me. But I was like, all right, this is what's going down. So we're eye gazing. And, and it's powerful, man. Like, you know, you're staring at somebody deep into their eyes. And like, you know, as I said, like my face is really quiet, sort of yeah. puffy from crying so much, you know. And But it was... Refreshing, man. it was nice to be seen in that moment, you know. And especially, there was a girl who was like, there was two guys and a girl I gazed, I gazed with, and to be seen by a girl in that space was amazing, you know. And she actually later on said, when we there was a circle of gratitude, that one of the most refreshing and inspiring things that she saw on that weekend was guys crying in each other's arms you know she said that that is the salvation you know she said keep doing what you're doing because that is what's going to save us and you know i resonated with that because i was like we and this is like that emotional sort of confines that we've been feeling for a long time you know where it's like you can't show that weakness you know that softness and things like that but and there's so much power in that there's so much beauty in it you know like that's what I said I'm like, I i can not believe I've been carrying this around for so long you know I used to put up so many walls so many shields to protect myself quote unquote but I was like man I was I was just a kid you know like it's okay it's like it's not your fault and so to let it go and to be like man this is where the strength lies you know because we can be there for others now you know you can show that it's okay because man we're human beings man we're gonna have good days we're gonna have bad days man but you have to get rid of the bad stuff to make more room for the good that's how it works, and so to to be seen in that moment, man, like tear, eyes full of tears, was beautiful, you know, because it's given me confidence now, man, like to step into to to a new beginning where I'm not afraid to do that anymore, you know, like I hold that as a strength, and for me, that's what I needed to to move forward, to see myself,
0: and so that night, that that ceremony didn't last until the same time as the other ones, you were bed earlier, or
1: actually, I didn't get to sleep till like three o'clock because of this sort of feeling that happens, and it's it's quite common. There's a lot of people who stayed awake. It's sort of uh, it's a stimulant, so it does keep yeah. you awake. even though you're exhausted physically, yeah. mentally, emotionally. Yeah. You just like you can't really sleep, so
0: but you feel pretty lucid.
1: Still feel pretty lucid and stuff, but it was—it's beautiful because in that moment of reflection with other individuals is the rawness, the honesty. You know, because people come up to you like, "How is everything? You okay?" And you're able to share, and you know, even the shaman says like, the way that people looked when they came in to the way they look at the end of the weekend is a transformation. You know, like it truly is because you just like you see this strength, and when we're in this moment, this circle yeah. of gratitude. Uh, that's what I. That's what I said. I said I thank you to every single person in this room, and I thank you for your courage because it showed me, um, inspired me to share mine. And you know, it's it's the work that we do here that's going to benefit the next people, you know. And I felt that I was internally grateful for the vulnerability that people showed, and it's it was powerful, man. Because it's interesting what we deem as courageous,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, same as fear, you know. Courage is like knowing what your fears are, but facing them anyway, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So, do you think that you'll um, you'll be back?
1: Yeah, definitely, absolutely. You know, the, I'm a big believer that there's always still work to be done, but that also in saying that, there's not, there's no pressure around it. Mm. But because I connected the way that I did, because my mind has always been naturally open to that avenue and the self development, then I I will absolutely go back.
0: So, when you're uh, um, in the zone yeah did you have that feeling of of being here before and this is not you know the body is a vehicle or
1: yeah it, w- it wasn't too much of a separation like that um i've had that in other instances but this more was the true removal of blockages you know, it was more the awareness of what we hold on to subconsciously because you could try and convince yourself to the cows come home, but, you know, there's a reason why we do certain things and that's generally avoidance of some sort of fear or discomfort, right? And that's why a lot of, that's why it's hard for individuals to step into the unknown because of it being unknown and that's that comfort zone and things like that. And so, I mean, I've always tried to put myself, well, in the latter years, I feel the struggle has been trying to put myself into the box but I don't really fit into that box you know the normal societal process well,
0: yeah it's that there's not really a box it's just that nah. we've constructed it
1: right yeah but then it's like it feels like if you're not following that pattern or that path then there might be something
0: well let's just like in Blow when he's in court going your honour look it's just a plant and blah 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 yeah. and he gives that speech and she goes but unfortunately, sir, in this reality, we have these and that plant. <laughs> and Absolutely. His, his makes sense, but just unfortunately has. holds value too.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it, isn't it funny too, because that sort of discomfort, the, more, the, the most discomfort I've found is by trying to compare myself to others on a path that doesn't belong to me. You know, because of me thinking, well, maybe that's what I need to do. Is that how I have to live my life? You're right, because being observant, you sort of take a little bit from everywhere. But it, trying to sort of succumb to that has been the biggest challenge. But I've realised through these experiences that, you know, because I went in to hopefully find my purpose, that was quote unquote an intention, but not an expectation. And I realised that the purpose is just being. You know, like if you have an ability to connect with people or whatever your strengths are through selflessness or be able to give back, then that's why you're here, you know? So it's like it's a connection to self that will reflect the purpose.
0: Yeah, and we just – well, as as you've traveled so much, you you have the luxury of being able to see that Mm. clearer than – a lot of people who have just lived in within this construct.
1: Totally, totally, but it's interesting because whenever I felt pulled to travel, was because I wanted to find answers within the unknown. I was never prepared to just sit and wait. I felt like it was, it was going to be too too time consuming in non-constructive way. So I was prepared to sacrifice it all to find what I was looking for, and I think. That also creates a moment of separation you know and it's like but then because I always used to question whether what I was doing was right you know because people some people friends of mine weren't traveling you know they were staying home they were investing in different things and I was like no I'm like I need experiences that's going to be my my sort of feathers in the cap you know how I'm going to how I'm going to move around this world and you know even a close friend of mine who through the high school days and later on you know, we were about 30, he turns to me and said, man, I wish I had the courage to do what you did. And I was like, man, I always felt like I was doing the wrong thing.
0: Yeah, isn't it funny?
1: Yeah. yeah. I, was, you know, I was always like, oh, is this it? Is this one?" But I just kept following it, you know? And so it's like constantly putting yourself outside of those comfort zones.
0: But I think, you know, there's such value in even when you're in America and you go, this isn't my you know, I don't feel comfortable here. It's not my, but that's it's that, just as important to feel that as to feel the acceptance of where you are in another place.
1: Totally. Absolutely. And it's also, you know, when it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right. We all know it, you know. It's like call it intuition, call it gut feeling, whatever it is, but we know it. You know, I ignored a lot of gut feelings at certain points in my life, but you end up with a result that you knew was going to be the outcome anyway. You just chose to ignore it. So it's like, people have an amazing ability to not listen to their intuition for decades, you know? Mm. Which is like, which is crazy, because, you know, each to their own, but it's like, man, if you understood that by acknowledging what you're running from enables you to lighten the load to go the path you're meant to go on.
0: Well, yeah, but that's the disconnect of Western society, I think, is like we, in. uh, intel uh use our intelligence our mind um and not listen to the heart and then disconnect them because it doesn't you know um i fucking lost my train the um you intellectualize something and if the intellectualization makes sense then that's what you do but that's not intuition or listening to your heart and i had a teacher that said to me that the brain's a whore (laughs) <laughs> don't listen to the fucking brain <laughs> was like, yeah it was great he was always like you know you gotta go in here and does it how does it feel energetically is that decision feeling not what does it look like on paper it, you know
1: absolutely I used to always have this sort of mantra for myself it was always use this being your brain follow this which is your heart and listen to this which is your gut
0: yeah that's, if you can put that into play I think you know cuz you need all three yeah, yeah but you need to know brain
1: sharp yeah right <laughs> <laughs> exactly you need to know which one to, to yeah. listen to to tune into yeah you know because it's and it's funny because as said at the start it's like i've always felt more comfortable being on the road because all my senses are ignited you know and whenever i came back here that's when i'd question like oh man am i you know scratching my head thinking shit is this for me or do i need to go out and buy the AMROC or do i you know all that it's like but it's like you don't you don't need to do that stuff at all and so isn't it funny that the comfort zone is the unknown and uh, discomfort is like trying to fit in
0: um, well you get the new shiny thing and it's really good for three or four weeks totally then it's just another thing
1: there's another thing and it's like you want to minimalize right life, right? It's only just even to walk that path. And, you know, I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to learn and educate myself outside of these environments. Like, you know, you, there's smart ways to do things, you know. So I don't want to close myself off to that. And I still love being the student anywhere I go, you know, try and ask as many questions because you never know who you're talking to. I'm very fortunate with the space I've created. Like I get to converse with some amazing people characters you know very successful in their own way and so just to have that candid insight and to share is is phenomenal you know
0: oh i would be able to see what how other people are doing it
1: definitely absolutely you know, there's so
0: many crew are not living a linear life that you would never know never know and you're just like what how what? Right. And I want to. I like, want to be like that. And it's funny
1: because it's there's a recipe. You know, we've all got our own recipe to bake this cake of success that you want. But it's like there's fundamental ingredients to that. You know, it's like it's hard work, sacrifice, and courage. You know, like.
0: But then what flips my brain is, you go like these are luxuries that we have right now. This introspection and wanting to live our, you know, follow our heart. And then an external environment with an external government, and say a few things go the wrong way, and suddenly we're primitive again. Definitely, like the, what's happening in Ukraine and right now it's like they're back to fight or flight. Yeah, there's yeah. no. I read this article this morning that was just like heartbreaking. Of you know the you know you just you know that all those people, all those families in that whole country, are going through this moment of like i have to get my wife and kids out of here
1: mm.
0: i got to stay yeah and that goodbye and so the article was around the the goodbyes and all these different stories of essentially men saying goodbye to their wife and kids and putting them on buses to go somewhere i was a fucking man i was full tilt
1: yeah absolutely
0: and so these people who what was it only a month ago didn't think the war was going to happen and were living a normal life going about their business they might have been doing ayahuasca the week before (laughs) (laughs) no doubt now forced into this position that's not anything to do with them but they have to live it that you would never consider it's like that's bends my mind at the moment that that's a reality
1: yeah definitely there's a really interesting book called man's search for meaning and it's about the concentration camps and a guy who survived it and the real focus And long story short is about the purpose right like what (laughs) this gentleman watched people perish because of their lack of purpose you know so you can't control the situations externally really but what you can control is your own mind and your salvation through purpose within it you know because once you have hope or a direction you're focusing to get to then it's purpose right you have a reason to live and so it's interesting through those adversities. It's like that's that perspective. That's that half glass, glass half full and empty. You know, it's like what do you choose to focus on? You know, what is your purpose within it? And I'm not saying I don't condone anything no, that's going over there. Yeah, no. And I even through the ceremony, man, my heart went out. You know, because I did reflect on that. And it's um and it's obviously happening for a reason. You know, everything happens for a reason. That's a wild part about this experience. You know, whether it's good or bad, it's like that flow on effect. You know. And so it really comes down to, man. There will people who will perish, and there will people who will triumph. You know, and that's humanity. That's like the history itself.
0: Oh, it's that's it's riddled all the way down. It's, it's way bizarre down. that we've had such a long period of peacefulness, right? You know, our history is violent, unfortunately. Com-
1: oh, completely right. It's like somebody Brutal. mentioned the other day that like this is sort of like a biblical moment in time. You know, like fires, famine, floods war, everything, you know, it's like but the craziest part about humanity is man survival mm. and what we've endured and what we've survived, you know, like and that's the thing, even like the the last two years for a lot of people, adaption. You know, like people adapted in the way that they knew how or that through their experiences were conditioned to adapt, you know, and I sat back and watched and we all went through it in our own way, you know. And so I used to look looking at people and I was like, you can tell, I could tell w- <clears throat> the, pe- the way that people were reacting was due to exposure or lack thereof, you know? Because when you're in a situation that you know you can't control, you have to lean in. Traveling teaches you that. But if you haven't been exposed to a lot of that, then your struggles lie with trying to control something you can't control and the inability to let go. So I remember like, man, I haven't lived with a TV for 10 years, you know? I love that. You know, first thing I did when COVID hit, I deleted all social media. Cause I was like, man, I don't, I'm not gonna welcome anything into my, my mind, you know, because I can't control it. I'll, I'll play the, by the rules because, you know, we're in this together, but man, I, I'm in control of what comes into my space.
0: Yeah, and you and you renovated a house. And I've renovated a house. <laughs> That's so good.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. It was just like I, and it would like it would actually was like a highlight of a carpentry experience, you know. Because I was like, I checked the surf forecast, surf when there was surf, build when I wasn't surfing, eat a lot of avocado on toast, and like <laughs> just and just cruise, you know. Well, I wasn't cruise, I was working incredibly hard, but yeah. I saw an opportunity and I capitalized on it, you know. And so it's, but it was because I had to set
0: boundaries. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's super important. And I don't think, you know, well, m- myself, I'll just speak for, on behalf of myself. I go through periods of boundaries and periods where I, I probably look at too much news. Mm. I'm not so much in the social medias, but the news. I'm always like, but then, I, I, fuck, whatever. The news feels so contrived anyway. Yeah. Like what makes news and what doesn't there's so much else going on in the world that never makes the fucking news how do they pick this and that yeah, anyway but it's like it's drama right it's it's it is it's just the fucking drama
1: you know because i i wondered that one time you know there's obviously there's certain human beings that invite more drama into their life than others right i'm the type of person man i can definitely leave drama behind you know it's not my vibe so i was wondering just out of curiosity i'm like i wonder how many programs somebody who invites a lot of drama into their life how many they watch right how many drama movies series things like right. that right like yeah. because you're your, your subconscious frequency. you've that frequency you're on yeah. so of course and like people say to me because i mean you know barber shops in a small town and I've had a couple of clients they're like oh you know the barber of the town you must know everybody's business and i was like man i'm like i don't invite that into my space I'm like, oh, it's no business of mine I'm like, I'd rather hear about how somebody felt through an experience than tell me the bickering within it. Mm. You know, my, I, I don't care about that. You know, it's like, there's so many other things to talk about than gossip. Like it's not, and just drama, like you're just bringing this in, just let it go. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah,
0: But you, it's funny like you do know, you, and we all know people who, there's always drama. Oh, and you're like,
1: oh. Yeah, and it's like whether the drama becomes more drama and then they're telling you about the, more drama and you're just like, you don't see it like it's you you're the catalyst
0: no I think some people enjoy it You know.
1: oh well that's it like yeah. they thrive because it gives them purpose right like within that because it, whether it be like problem solving the drama or knowing people's business or things like that it gives us a sense of a, you know a, a purpose within it you know but it's like I don't know it, it, that once again it's you know you, you can turn your view to look at everything externally or you can turn it and look internally because what I've learned over the last few years anyway is like all the answers that we're looking for are within us it's just how you choose to look for them because it's like and in the external is a reflection of your internal so it's like if you're unsure go in but we haven't been taught that no, you know no. we haven't been shown that you know and i can only speak for the masculine but it's like if anything man we're sort of like when it's prohibited you know we're not, not allowed to do that we're not allowed to show that side of ourselves but it's amazing you know
0: because but you, that doesn't help commerce
1: no 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 not at all man absolutely <laughs> not it rocks no, the boat that's right, right yeah. and all this stuff like all the medicines things like this you know there's a reason like back in the day why they you know why they made these things illegal right? like you know the test of psilocybin back in the day and now that they've come back into light and you know it's proven that it helps depression anxiety things like this because it's like because whether they couldn't control it or things like that but it's like there's man there's power within it because it's understanding yourself from within yourself you know and so it's like it's amazing because this connection to self is a reflection to the journey which has just been wild so and and everything i'm appreciative good and bad for everything that's happened in my life you know because i was excuse me when i was in california I, mean, I remember saying to my partner at the time, like, I, was, I knew something was up, you know, I knew something was wrong, like internally, because I was following these patterns. And I was like, but I, it's like, it's like somebody giving you the plans to build a house, but you don't have any tools. It's like, I know I need to build a house, but I don't have any tools to do it. So I said to her, I'm like, I don't have the tools to articulate how I feel or like what's actually happening within me. So it's like uh, and then by talking to people professionals however that looks for the individual what it reminded me was that it strengthens the ability to be comfortable with articulating your emotions because they're just trying to facilitate you retrieving the answer from within yourself and the more practice you get at it and this is what they reiterated over the ceremony is everything in life is practice everything if you want to get good at it and the feminine have been blessed with the ability to nurture support care for one another and be able to be there through hard times for one another you know purging in bad times happens straight away you know men either don't ever do it or will ignore it for months you know and it's, so it's like so it's we've got to learn that that is the strength, and that we can learn from. We can learn from. And that's why it's like there is a divine masculine and feminine because it's like you learn from one another. Mm. There's natural in both, but mm. we've got to teach each other. Mm. And that's I know that's why I feel like moving forward.
0: No, I think it's super important that 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 is, and you know, and we're in agreement here, but we we both acutely aware that there's an imbalance. Completely. in the world at the moment that needs to balance up real quick yeah, otherwise real quick. we're in some deep shit yeah. <laughs> or we're in deep shit and we need the balance to happen quick quick quick
1: so, sooner rather than later I think <clears throat> I mean I'm once again I'm fortunate because I see it right like I see it on the daily and man there's times like I'll throw myself under the bus in the shop you know just to show somebody that you there's another path, path to walk you know and it's like I said like i'm proud of my experiences because they're my experiences yeah. you know but it's um but i think they're i think we're on the turn man i think that like guys are sort of starting to, to be a little bit more aware
0: oh i, I of definitely themselves. i think so too and, and but i think that we live in an area where it's a little bit more accepted and you don't have to go too far out for you know but it is the conversation's opening up
1: definitely and that's where it starts right it's got to start yeah. somewhere You know, and that's the other thing because it's the ripple effect comes from how we communicate to the next generation. Yeah. You know, it's like you show that things are okay because it doesn't matter what age you're at when you're a younger child, it's normal to you, right? Whatever the experience is because you don't have much perspective on the world. So it's normal. So if you make that a safe space and that what you do as an adult, what we do as an adult, normal for the next generation then that's just going to be natural, you know? So it's like, you've got to lead by example. Mm. It's like, you see parents who-
0: No, it's the framework that you grow up looking at. Like, yeah. i bring it back to the metaphor for surfing. Grew up looking at power turns, you know, and, and, and guys never leaving the lip. <laughs> and so it was like, I, I, you know, my, my computer's programmed for that. Kids these days, uh, just, it's just they're watching people that live above the lip <laughs> you know and so you're seeing these kids that are just living above the lip and so but it, and on a grander sense if, as you know we're showing the different light then kids and young men can be more open and sensitive you are seeing it like it's in yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I believe it's in primary schools and you, you know friends of mine with kids who are way more open minded and know way more shit than I ever knew at that age definitely you know and you're like oh okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're doing yoga and meditation in kindergarten yeah. you know, preppies grade ones things like that and it's, it's refreshing you know it really is because like man as you said like we man we didn't see that
0: well it was pretty dogmatic you know when we were kids it was like there wasn't you know it was like skateboarding was like holy fuck yes yeah exactly it's a form of expression that's not in the you know the old narrative I'm on that yeah <laughs> yeah
1: exactly i think it's it's an exciting time i believe you know for individuals and for a, a collective you know and i know that there's a lot going on i know there has been a lot going on but we're humans man there's always going to be a lot going on
0: all right you're about to hit the road
1: Yeah, i'm about to cruise over to sa spend a little bit of time in the desert catching a few waves so that'd be a nice point of reflection Phil, there's been a lot of hard work. It's basically been, you know, as I said, renovating a house and running a business for two years um, during what was. And so, yeah, man, a bit of shade in the desert will be fun.
0: Well, I look forward to hearing all about it. And I'm going to say thanks so much, man. We are running at three hours. Yeah, sure, thank you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> My man. Good to see ya. You. you too. You too. Yeah okay there you have it there was my chat with none other than Taylor Jardin um, now I hope you enjoyed that so many um, you know wonderful moments in there and, uh, and and a life definitely on track for following your heart so you know if you're arming and ahhing about things and what to do and you know I, I think the answer lies out there not always like we can run away from our problems or whatever the fuck that is but sorry, excuse me, I just burped. That is so rude. Um, you, you, You can but find yourself, not even, I don't really like that expression, but you can find answers and meet people that help you have new thoughts and, you know, see how people do things differently. And I think that's a wonderful thing about getting on the road, taking a step back and just, um, you know, that it's not for everyone, but it's a, it's a great, it's a great tool. And it's a great thing. It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Get out there, get out there, go have a look and you probably have had a look and now you're sitting at home going, I've had a look. Piss off, man. Stop telling me to have a look. But um, you can never stop looking. You can never stop looking. Well, you can. One day it'll be over and you'll have to stop looking. So you may as well look while you can. Go and have a look. I'm going to shut up and let you get on with the rest of your life. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Taylor. Um, Catch you next time. Rest in peace, Rusty.